Hello, Topical, and welcome back to your favorite NBA coverage from your favorite NBA correspondents. I'm here with Arad Faruqi again, and we're going to be recapping the first round of the NBA playoffs. Today is uh, Sunday, uh, April 29th, so, you know, the uh, second round's technically already started, but they did start early this year. So, I, I'm pretty excited to recap, like, 45 games. This is going to be interesting to see how much we really have to say on each uh, we both took notes. We're both prepared. We're both ready to go. Are you ready, Rod? Yes, yes, I am. I have quite a bit, quite a bit to talk about. Yes, so we're going to get right into things. So uh, the plan for today is we're going to start by uh, recapping each game of each series. So we're going to start with the series that went the shortest length, and uh, to the surprise of uh, both of us, I think the shortest series ended up being the Pelicans Trailblazers series. Uh, who, who saw that coming? Yeah, that was that was I thought very interesting. I personally, going into the series, I thought for sure that, um, well, I guess the most the, the most surprising thing about the series, um, I'm not sure what we had said, what what we thought the most, you know, what we would be most excited to see uh, when we did the you know the coverage prior. Well, I can but check. I was extremely impressed with the play of Drew Holiday and Rajon Rondo. I had no idea that Rajon Rondo was still capable of such things. Um, I know that he played pretty well. Uh, in the first two games against uh, a series against the Celtics last year when he was a member of the Bulls. But um, I guess it, it really is a real thing. Like, playoff Rajon Rondo, I guess there's just something about the scene and, you know, the time that, that allows him to elevate his game. And, you know, a lot of a lot of players have started adopting monikers like Playoff P for Paul George and uh, stuff like that. <clears throat> and then obviously there's, you know, notorious Playoff LeBron and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, to me, playoff Rondo is a, is a real thing. Uh, he was averaging, I believe, eight points and eight assists in the regular season. But uh, he got, you know, he got all those averages up to, like, I think he averaged 13 points, 14 assists, nine rebounds. Uh, and he, he was he was shooting the ball pretty well. He was defending the ball amazingly. Um, even though they had Drew Holiday doing most of the defending on Damian Lillard particularly. But um, Rajon Rondo did a really good job as a secondary perimeter defender, uh, you know, picking up C.J. McCollum. So that was very impressive. But, yeah. Um, yeah, overall, I did not – I expected that series to be a longer one. I thought that, you know um, – I thought basically the way that it would work is it would be – it would be kind of like AD, uh, Anthony Davis taking – like it would be Anthony Davis taking a turn dominating a game and then Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum taking a turn dominating a game. And then it would kind of work itself out to where the end of the series would be like six or seven games. And whoever could be more dominant over the course of the whole series would be the one to win. But um, it turned out that Anthony Davis had a lot more help than we expected. So – uh, it ended up being a quick series. Yeah, I, I mean, it, just based on what we were expecting, I I always had down the Trailblazers team defense that being the most uh, excited thing that I was uh, to see. Like, I, I was expecting it to actually be really impressive, and I was like, wow, how are they doing so well on defense? Well, it turned out they weren't. The defense ended up being the biggest problem for them. And also, like we were looking at the X-Factors in the series, and who knew that that was going to be a Damian Lower and, and uh, CJ McCollum, who had just atrocious shooting, and like they they just couldn't get anything off. Like a, for me, I thought that the biggest thing that would uh, make the difference would be Anthony Davis having just an awesome series, which seemed guaranteed. But also Drew Holiday and Nikola Mirotic keeping pace with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. But they just ran him out of the building. And I mean, yeah, Nikola Mirotic was a huge surprise. Um, I I've been watching him on uh, the Bulls for uh, a few years, and he I just I, this is this is not a player that I ever saw. Like I think ever since. I'm not sure what it was, but um, I saw some stat um, that I think in like his last, his last set. I, mean, I can't remember the number exactly, but in his last sample size of games in the season, including the playoffs, he was averaging like 28 points and 11 rebounds. 
I mean, and those numbers are comparable to what DeMarcus Cousins can give you in terms of scoring and rebounding. Um, and, uh, you know, I think this series, uh, it did a lot, actually, because um, I remember as soon as Game 4 finished, um, there was a uh, there was an article released on Bleacher Report. I got a notification for it. And it was, uh, it was, a, it was a thing that uh, it was an article that questioned whether or not uh, they believe that Terry Stotts should continue to be the head coach in Portland, and I knew immediately that that was going to be something that you and I would have to talk about. Yeah, both have very, we have very, very strong support for Terry Stotts. We really like him as a coach, but uh, it's you know he got swept this year, and they lost in five games in the first round last year. No, they got swept last year as well, and then they were uh, lost in five games two years prior in the second round. Um, and you know, but I think a lot of people kind of gave him a pass for the first year because he lost four starters and they won a first round series, which was tough. Uh, so they were impressed, but I think, you know, these last two years, um, not even being able to win a single game, you know, against the Warriors, it's understandable, but now I guess uh, they're more, a little bit more concerned because I, I feel like they definitely could have gotten at least two wins all, uh, against New Orleans, or they should have. Um, so, but I, I personally don't believe that it's a coaching issue. I think that it's, um, I, I really just feel like there are so many limitations with that roster because, you know, you, you, you paid Evan Turner $70 million, which is absurd. He's nowhere near that, uh, that talent. That was just a, uh, <clears throat> the Blazers were just one of the, uh, you know, they were one of the teams that were a casualty of the uh, 2016 uh, inflated uh, salary cap, where they, uh, you know, every player who, saw, who signed a contract then was signing gigantic deals. Uh, like Mike Conley at the time was the highest paid player in NBA history. I believe he signed for like 153 million, and now that's gone even up higher because now you have people signing like 210 million dollar contracts and whatnot. But regardless, um, they they really they they have some issues with the roster. Um, you know, they really only have two two players who can really give you something relevant. You know, you've got Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, and then everybody else is a role player who who's not really an advanced role player. Like you just have people who can do, kind of do one thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they've never had a guy who can really step up and be the tertiary option, which I think is a real issue for them, especially in the playoffs. Because you know, the the great thing about having a, you know three team or a three man, you know, like a three man crew is even though that you'll get more inconsistent play from that third guy, um, because, you know, I think that's that's pretty that's pretty common unless they're just fantastic shooters like we see in Golden State. But for the most part, you know, like you prefer, I'll use Kyrie, Kevin Love, and uh, LeBron James, for example. Like, even if Kyrie, you know, or LeBron wasn't having an off night, you could just run with Kyrie and Kevin Love because Kevin Love can get things going from the outside sometimes. Like, you always have another option, basically, when you have a big three rather than a big two, because if you have a big two and just one, per, one of them is off, God forbid both of them are off. You literally just have no chance of winning because your team is just is uh, not. And then, you know, <clears throat> that's a, that's the case for teams that don't have, you know, that, that's basically, in my opinion, that's the case for every single team in the NBA except for uh, Golden State, Boston, and Utah because those those three systems are so predicated on ball movement that you can really have any player thrive in those sort of, that, that kind of system. But Portland clearly does not have that. So um, I don't know either. With, in my opinion, the only reason that, I guess you could fire Terry Stotts, and then you could try and implement a new coach um, that that plays more of a, a free ball movement style because it looks like it's going to be difficult to make roster improvements. But you know, you never know. Maybe you can package some picks with a couple players, and uh, you know, see see what you can get out there on the trade market in the off season and whatnot. But um, <clears throat> anyways, that was kind of a long tangent. <laughs> oh, don't don't worry about it. We'll just talk about uh, what we think is going to happen for Trailblazers Boys before the games, then, because uh, it seems like we're just going to cover that completely. So, yeah, spoiler the Trailblazers lost. It wasn't pretty. 4-0 is a complete sweep. They looked horrible in it. 
And yeah, as Aran said, the, their biggest problem right now is that I don't know what they should do going into the offseason because they're capped out completely because they have horrible deals to players. They have a really bad deal to Evan Turner, really bad deal to uh, uh, Alan Crabb. They're still paying Alan Crabb for that horrible deal like two years ago. And I uh, can't think of anyone else off the top of my head, but that that alone is really bad because they're essentially max contract deals. They have two players that are either playing at below uh, like league average or just aren't even on the team anymore. So that's not good, especially in a league where there isn't really, like there's kind of a salary cap, but not really. So you, you mentioned firing Terry Stotts, and I, I saw a similar article on that. I don't think it was from the same place. But for me, I'd fire the GM. I think this is a problem with the GM and the fact that the team doesn't didn't have any other options if Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum didn't get hot. And like they, they were just going to be screwed, and they would have to hope that like the bench could pull them out of it, and like the bench wasn't very good, or like they had to hope that like their defense could uh, hold the other team to something, and the defense wasn't very good, and it just seemed like they were helpless. And I mean, firing Terry Stotts isn't going to help anything. There aren't great coaches on the market right now. Like the best you can get is like Mark Jackson, and like he's already probably going to the Knicks. Mark, yeah, Mark Jackson would have been a good would have been a wonderful option. But yeah, <clears throat> my only concern if they did hire a new GM, typically or not typically, but a lot of the time GMs that come in like to bring in their own coach. So you know, it, but it depends it, it, if they want to um, if they want to like it, it, they could they could roll with Terry Stotts because I I, def, I do think that he's a good coach and I think because of what he's been able to do with such limitations like we just talked about, he's been able to you know I think. I can't remember if they won 50 games in 2016, the year after they lost four starters, but if they did, then that's obviously a tremendous accomplishment because I remember they were the fifth seed um, and the, um, they played the Clippers in the first round and they won. So, yeah, uh, I do. I, I think I, I think Terry Stotts deserves some benefit of the doubt. But <clears throat> but as far as the series goes... They won, um, uh, they won 44 games. In 2016? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. So there wasn't 50. Never mind. That. Yeah, but the but, previous year, they won 51. Oh, okay, yeah. That, that might be what I'm thinking about. Um, so, yeah, but as far as the series goes, um, just some notes that I had. Uh, you know, the games were pretty slow-paced. Um, Anthony Davis was dominant. In the first game, he went for 35, and 14, uh, 35 points, 14 rebounds. He never looked back. Um, in the first half of the series, Lillard and McCollum combined for 1 of 15 shooting. New Orleans definitely seemed like they had confidence throughout the series. They didn't look like they didn't appear like they were playing like they were underdogs, which is you know they were a six seed facing a three seed. But uh, I guess when you look at the fact that <clears throat> they're only really separated by a game or two in the standings, uh, that makes sense. Um, New Orleans played stellar defense, uh, especially Rondo and Drew Holiday, like I talked about. And then obviously, there's no one on the Blazers that could even touch Anthony Davis and stuff. And then the note that I had for Game One was. Uh, that I thought New Orleans might have trouble scoring the remainder of the series, but <laughs> that that turned out not to be the case. No. Uh, and then you know all my notes for games two, three, and four are relatively similar because the series wasn't very compelling. It was it was really just a matter like I don't I really don't even remember Lillard and McCollum getting on a, on a good run. Like I don't I don't remember a, uh, there being a game that I thought they could legitimately win. Um, it just looked like Anthony like, every, like even like they matched literally everything that they did because Drew Holiday really. I think established himself as an elite two-way two-way guard in the in the West. So, um, yeah, um, I mean, really, that's all I have to say for that series. But just uh, just addressing something real quick, since we were talking about the Blazers' future. Yeah, sure. Um, I think it should be noted that the the Pelicans actually play much better without Demarcus Cousins. Um, mm-hmm. I believe their their record with him was twenty-seven and twenty-one before he went down with the Achilles injury. And playing at that pace, they wouldn't have qualified for the playoffs. 
but that 27 and 21 sample size includes them winning winning eight games of their last nine games. So then, you know, if you subtract eight from that, you get, you know, 19 and 20, whatever it is. But, you know, you they, they were, they're really not that uh, amazing of a team with Boogie. And then without him, they played a 51-win pace, I believe. And, um, you know, I think, it, I, I, I think a lot of people are, you know, DeMarcus Cousins is one of the more polarizing players in the NBA because, of, you know, his antics and how he, you know, reacts to the, to the media and the referees and stuff like that. But, I mean, I think DeMarcus Cousins is an amazing player, but I think to, to a degree, I think a legitimate question that should be asked about him is, like, he played in losing situations for so long, so I feel like it's sort of difficult for him to play winning basketball. Um, his decision-making just isn't the best, and to be honest, he reminds me a lot of Russell Westbrook in terms of just how he plays. Uh, not, not you know, not with the same, like, how he plays in terms of, like, aggressiveness and, you know, driving to the basket and all that, but... And triple doubles. The, the shot selection and the efficiency and, you know, that kind of... Like, DeMarcus Cousins is 6'11", 270 pounds, and nobody can stop him in the block, and, and he could go down in the post and score every single time, but... Rather than going to his bread and butter, which is that, I mean, he, he just, he, he makes poor decisions. He, he's 6'11", 270, like I just mentioned, yet he, he shoots six three-pointers a game. He attempts six three-pointers a game, and he's a 35% three-point shooter. Sometimes he's lower than that. Uh, I think most of the time he's lower than that. So six three-pointers a game as a 35% three-point shooter makes absolutely no sense, especially when you consider that Clay Thompson shoots seven and you shoot six, uh, and you're just not even close to being the same caliber shooter. Um, I don't know. I just feel like the only way that you could really make DeMarcus Cousins work alongside uh, Anthony Davis is if you did something where you stagger their minutes to where they're only playing about 18 minutes a game or something like that. Um, and then, because, you know, that's kind of how Chris Paul does it with James Harden and all that. They, they kind of take turns rather than doing everything together all the time. And then you just play them together for a shorter amount of time. Um, but honestly, what I, I feel like what might be a better move for New Orleans is just to invest more in Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis and just get a third piece for them someone a little bit better than Rajon Rondo. And honestly, they might have found that in Nikola Meritage. You know, who knows how, how good he can really be. But, you know, it might be just be better for the Trailblazers to try and flip DeMarcus Cousins for a couple of draft picks, especially since he's going to be coming off an Achilles injury. Um, I feel like there are enough desperate teams out there in the NBA that would be willing to give up a first-round pick and maybe some expiring contracts for him so then New Orleans can create some more cap room and then maybe even sign another player. So, um, just, you know... Like I, so like I just said, desperate teams out there looking to make a change. I think it can be ironic if you send DeMarcus Cousins to the Blazers because, you know, then then you give Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum a legitimate third player who can score without them and kind of, you know, he, despite the fact that I don't think he always plays winning basketball, he's definitely still capable of winning you some games because he is a dominant player inside um, and he's very skilled. He's a good passer, good rebounder. Um, you would like a little bit more from him on defense, but you kind of have Nurkic there, so you don't really have to, you know, you don't have to... <clears throat> You don't have to, like, you could, you know, I'm not sure who's taller, but whoever's taller, you can honestly just play at center and just play the other because with the positionless game today, it really doesn't matter. And then, you know, if you want to go small, you just put Nurkic on the bench and then just put a bunch of players with Boogie. So, um, you know, I think that could be an interesting option. Uh, you know, maybe the Blazers can inquire about uh, getting DeMarcus Cousins because um, you never know. The Pelicans played so well without him. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I don't really think that Pelicans – I don't think the Pelicans right now are looking – uh, you know, at their bench and being like, damn, like, I wish we had Boogie so that we could beat the Warriors. I really don't think that Boogie would help them that much because, he, you know, they played a much slower pace without him. They can't run with the better teams. And I don't think they would have swept Portland with uh, DeMarcus Cousins. So um, that's just that's just something that I thought about, uh, given that these two teams were playing each other and that DeMarcus Cousins wasn't there. You know, I, I was actually coming into this podcast thinking I would have to make an argument for why uh, DeMarcus Cousins uh, does need to be resigned by 
the Pelicans this offseason, but I, I think you completely convinced me on, like, their idea shouldn't be to uh, re-sign him for the sake of uh, keeping it. It should be a re- trade him. Yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. And, and, like, I actually love that idea of him being on the Trailblazers. And, like, imagine a team where, like, DeMarcus Cousins is at the center position and then Nurkic is at the power forward. And, like, you have people like Aminu coming off the bench. You have Ed Davis coming off the bench, potentially. And then, like, they get a great small forward as, a, like, a scoring option. That'd be a, a much better option than what they had in this game. Especially uh, considering how uh, terrible their rim protection was throughout the series, I, I thought that was one of the biggest problems. Along with them just giving up layup lanes all, all throughout the g- series, it was ridiculous. But yeah, like they they've definitely played better during this stretch. I feel like a lot of it has to do with Anthony Davis just taking his game to new levels, but which is unbelievable. Because he's definitely true. I, I don't mean to discredit him at all. He had a fantastic series. I just think that. I don't. I mean, they don't necessarily have to sign DeMarcus Cousins to max money because I, I'm not really sure whether or not DeMarcus Cousins can expect a max contract coming off an Achilles injury because you have no idea how good he's going to be. Yeah. He could shallow this former self. He could be 75%. He could be 80%, whatever it may be. But I do think that you have to go out and try and re-sign him just so that you can move his contract because, you know, or honestly, maybe you could even work out a sign-and-trade just immediately to get something done. Uh, you know, like, or, you know, whatever they want to do, like they could re-sign him and then play 10 to 15 games with them, see how it's working out. If they're playing at a losing pace and they don't like the direction it's headed, you can, you know, you can ship him out somewhere in early December or late November, whatever it is. But I just think, I, I definitely, I, I'm not sure whether that needs to be there. I guess, you know, they didn't play a full season together. Maybe they were going to win all these games regardless of whether or not he was there. Did Anthony Davis play the best stretch of his career because DeMarcus Cousins wasn't there, but they just motivated by his injury. Was Alvin Gentry just coaching much better? Like, you know, you never know, I guess. So I guess the best way to do it, would, in my opinion, would to be what I just said, which is bring him back, sign him to a contract, play a couple games with him, see how it's going. If it's not like if you get off to like a 10 and, you know, like a, uh, if you get off to like a 12 and three start next season, yeah, you can keep up. That's fine. But if you get off to like a, you know, like, five and ten start with them then you gotta ship them out so um maybe you need a bigger sample size than that but whatever it may be i just think that they really need to implore what they need to find out what they need to do with the marcus cousins because like you can't just keep wasting years of anthony davis's career experimenting and doing all this stuff like he, he's in a position now where he needs to start winning um like i, I get that he's only 24 years old but you don't want to look back when he's 27 and be like oh my god he was so amazing for so many years and then god forbid he gets injured or something and then it's like his whole career was a waste so um, I just think that they need to move fast because the Pelicans, if they want to win, they need to start winning now because Anthony Davis is free agent in two years and he's got some, he's got a tons and tons and tons of suitors. I think every single team in the NBA would want him. Anthony, uh, the Warriors are reportedly uh, wanting to make a move at him when he's a free agent. Uh, the Celtics obviously want him. I guess they call about him like every single week. So like he, he could go anywhere. Um, I think anyone, would, he, he's one of the players I think it's, uh, in my opinion, he's a player that I think there are probably about five or six players in the NBA that can legitimately be a best player on a championship team, that being Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, and then one or more between, you know, maybe James Harden or someone else. But, um, yeah, I think yeah, his future is going to be uh, predicated by what they do this offseason. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I would love to see a sign-and-trade for everything but Bookie. I've feel like that would really start to put a damper on his career because if you think about it like he was on those ki- terrible kings teams for all those years he had like a good a good couple month stretch with the pelicans and then he gets injured gets traded immediately and the only yeah. the only risk with uh, bringing him in for like 10 or 15 games uh, is that he turns out that it turns out that he's terrible or something and like his achilles injury really did sap all of his uh, skill and then like true. he has no value for the pelicans 
<clears throat> that is true. Yeah, I guess it would depend on that as well. But, um, you know, whatever it may be, I don't know. I mean, it, it's unfortunate for him, but at the time, like, he, like, this is my issue with Russell Westbrook as well. And I, I think I'll kind of use this to transition into the um, Thunder Jazz series, if you don't mind. Uh, I'm going to rule that dilatory because uh, I never got to give my notes on this series, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, but feel free uh, to yeah. go down that tangent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. One point. Uh, so, Anthony Davis then. Yeah, the only thing about DeMarcus Cousins, I just think that it's a time in his career where he needs to start playing smarter. Um, um, and, yeah, yeah that, that's basically all I have to say about, Anthony, uh, about DeMarcus Cousins. So, you go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Give your notes. Yeah, no, don't worry about it. So, like, I was, I was just going to say that, like, for me, the best performer in the, in the entire series, obviously, Anthony Davis. He was huge for them. He, he they kept flashing up a stat where like he has one of the highest uh, playoff career averages and point averages in, in NBA history. That's not a surprise to anybody. He's just dominant in the playoffs every every game he goes out there. He's always dominating the boards, getting a ton of rebounds. He gets some blocks every single game. He even he's been pretty good at getting assists as well. And obviously, he just thirty free or something points per game. It's incredible what he does there. For me, the surprise performer in the entire series, I thought was Miritich. I don't think either of us were expecting the performance that we got out of him on offense. He was knocking down a ton of frees, which was awesome to see out for the power forward position. And also, yeah. I thought his defense was really amazing. Like He actually had my best play for the first game on like that octopus thing, really. He was just waving his arms all over the place, and he just got like this crazy block, and I, I don't know how that happened. And uh, yeah, like Drew Holiday on defense, he was also amazing, and I think he really showed a lot of people why he deserved that max contract and how it, it seems like he's finally picking up on the potential that he's always had. And like, I, I don't know if you thought this, but maybe he was like a top five uh, defender at the point guard position this season. Yeah, maybe he was. I mean, I'm not really sure. Um, Cause I typically, I didn't watch them in New Orleans games throughout the regular season because, you know, I kind of, I, I was sort of iffy on them. Like, the whole year, like I didn't know whether or not the Demarcus Cousins thing would work, and then he got injured, and then you know they just had an interesting season anyway. But um, so I didn't watch much of them, so I'm not really sure what Drew Holiday can do firsthand. But he really showed out in the playoffs. I was extremely impressed. Um, and you know, just off the top of my head, I know that this season because Chris Paul missed so many games, I don't think that he's going to be a contender for one of the All Defensive teams. So if that opens up a spot, I think um, you know, I think that that definitely makes um, that would create a spot for Drew Holiday maybe on the All Defensive second team. Yeah. I feel. I think he might have made an all-defensive team already. I'm not entirely sure. But they have they come out yet? Oh no, they haven't. But oh, okay. he, um, they come out in the second round. Just um, oh. like they come out when all NBA. They come around around the time when the MVP is announced. Um, I think typically the order that they go in is. Oh, never mind. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah. The MVP award. The MVP will not be announced after the whole season on the award show. Never mind. Yep. And so and last year they did do uh, the All NBA stuff in the second round, but I'm hoping they wait until the awards season this year because that was just bizarre finding out about the All NBA players like two months early. Yeah. Also, I think I'm. Um, oh, I, yeah. It, it's it's going to be a weird thing because it's like. It, but in my opinion, it's so weird to do like the award show after the playoffs are over because then it's like you just watched an entire month of like an entire two months of new basketball and you're like you're it's it's hard to like just keep your mind on April and prior to that. No, I agree. Like, what if James Harden has a complete choke job in the second round against Utah and then it's like, oh, is that really our most valuable player? And like that, that's kind of what I thought last year. Like Russell Westbrook lost in five games to the, to the Rockets in the first. Like he won one playoff game even though he averaged, like, 38 points yet. Like, you know, but, I mean, whatever. That's, that's really neither here nor there. 
Yeah, and, like, it was always weird just stopping in, like, the playoffs in the middle of the second round to be like, okay, here's your MVP, here's your all-NBA teammate. Like, that always came off as weird to me, and you can't do it right off the regular, right when the regular season ends, unfortunately. That would be the best time, because the award voters actually need time to cast their votes. You don't want them putting them in early or something. Yeah, honestly, I guess the only way to do it would be to, like, extend the start of the, like, get every, every, everybody rest, you know, in yeah. after the regular season, like, maybe two weeks instead of just a couple of days. Uh, you know, maybe not even two weeks, maybe like a week and a half or something. And that way, you can let you can let all the teams practice their playoff rotations and all that, lock in whatever they need to do. And then during that same time, that's when you can come out with the awards. But that, that I mean, the NBA we already we talk about so much how the NBA needs scheduling changes and all that stuff. So, uh, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, I agree with your points. I thought uh, Nikola Nicola Mirotic was fantastic. Um, he shaved his beard. Yes, I, I didn't recognize him. It was so weird. Ever since he shaved his beard, he's been averaging twenty eight points and eleven rebounds. That's what I was talking about. <laughs> He's been playing amazing since he shaved his beard. Um, but yeah, he, he was impressive. Um, I really don't know what his NBA comparison would be, but he's a legit stretch forward. Like he, he can shoot it from pretty deep too. I remember watching some highlights of him on the Bulls shooting from like you know, almost half court, like you know, pretty, you know, pretty like pretty convincingly. So um, he's he's a good piece. I think he played. He thrives next to Anthony Davis because he can play. He's really a perimeter big man. Um, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't really go inside, and so he's not going to detract anything from Anthony Davis's abilities in there. Um, he's a good supporting rebounder, but doesn't necessarily need to be a primary rebounder. Um, he has an excellent shooting stroke, and he, he plays within the system very well. He plays extremely well off of Rajon Rondo. I think that's uh, that's an underrated thing, the Rajon Rondo, Nikola Mirotic pick and pop. It's one of their better plays. Oh, so Here, how about this? I, I actually just look up, looked up uh, player comparisons for Nikola Mirotic, and, and what about Marcus Morris? Yeah, that's actually yeah, that's a pretty good one. Marcus Morris doing it. Yeah, it worked for the show. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I think just I think currently Nicole Mirotic is playing as a, at a higher level, but yeah, for the over the course of the whole season, that, that's probably a pretty good comparison, especially given what Marcus Morris did in the first round. He was for the last couple of games of the regular season and the first round, he, he was pretty good. Yeah, and and uh, just to uh, okay, I guess I don't really have a transition for this. Uh, so yeah, I think that about concludes what we have to say about that series. Pretty sad for the Trailblazers, and they're kind of screwed going into the offseason because it basically turned out that like their entire scheme uh, fell apart. And actually, no, I, I do want to ask you about this first. So like, do you think that Terry Stott's entire defensive scheme is just completely flawed? Because something that uh, they brought up on the lap, which you know, is just the NBA podcast that I listened to, is that there might be a problem in the scheme and that like it, it works if like you're facing it if like the team is facing you and like they haven't seen you in, like the past two months or like they it's like just in every te- different team every night but like it once a team gets used to your style and like they've seen you play a couple times they get used to it and like they get used to the driving lanes and the fact that like you're going to close out on defense and then they're just going to roll through you like do you think there's something that Terry Stotts has to change in the scheme like should stick with this what does he really need to do well, um, this is one thing that I think is always a little bit unfair to coaches is when, like, like I, I feel like to be completely to, to be blunt, like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are horrible defenders. Like they can't stay in front of anybody. They're they're just bad defenders. Like they they get blown by so easily. They have no will to stay in front of people. They don't they don't get back. Like they're just bad defenders. And honestly, like if if Damian Lillard was even like if he was even what's the word I'm looking for? Like if he, if he was even like Competent? A, fact, a slight factor, like if he was anything on defense, then Drew Holiday would have wouldn't have had that great of a series, and then you completely change the series if Drew Holiday is on bad rhythm. Like 
if you if you start the series with Drew Holiday not ever catching fire, then he's probably not going to have an amazing series. I mean, Drew Holiday is a player who people really haven't paid attention to since like 2013 when he was an All Star, and now it's 2018 and he goes for 41 in a playoff game. Like, I mean, I understand he's an amazing player, but to a degree, like you have to play defense on him. And Damian Lillard is just that. That's another issue is that like when you have when you're building your team around one way players and you don't have good defensive players aside from maybe two or three like then you're just not going to be a good defensive team because you're not going to be able to have your best defenders on the floor at all times um because you know just because of because some of them will put the same position there will be some overlap and minutes stagger like all that stuff i, I really feel like the like if, if damian lillard and cj mccollum were just good defenders or if at least one of them was a, was a you know a liable perimeter defender like they wouldn't have had all these issues so i personally don't think terry Stotts is to blame for all of it because i mean to it like it doesn't really make sense to me that he would be the only coach in the NBA that would have this sort of issue. Like, I feel like that would be the case for a lot of, because like Toronto is a horrible coach, but they put good defense, right? Like I feel like a lot of deep, I feel defense is a lot more about player effort than it really is about always defensive schemes. Like yes, of course, sometimes you can have a broken defensive scheme because you know, that's just when you like, when you choose to initiate help on a play, when you collapse, you know, staying outside on corner shooters, all that stuff. But I feel like fundamental defense can should just be, that's just something that a player should know how to do. Like, like you can't get you can't get broken up and like just lose your defense like lose the offensive player like after he dribbles one time to the left like Damian Lillard was out there just he was just he was just looked lost out there like every time he was trying to defend Drew Holiday Drew Holiday was just having a field day um, so I feel like it's really I feel like this series falls entirely on Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum's shoulders I don't really get what Terry Stotts is supposed to do I mean the fact that he was able to take a team with this minimal talent to the third seed forty nine wins in a very competitive West. Um, like Damian Lillard really only started having a good season after the All-Star break, after he got that weird haircut, and then he started average. Like, he was playing well, but, like, he, he really just he elevated his name into MVP conversations the second half of the season, not the first half, though. So, I mean, it really, I feel Terry Stotts is the reason why Damian Lillard is the player that he is today. I don't really feel like you can continue to blame him for all the issues because, to a degree, you have to look at players and be like, like, you're just a bad defender. I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and I came into this actually wanting to talk about if the NBA should be taking, not NBA, the voters should take into account how, how much just his scheme fell apart because of obviously not getting any production out of those two guards in the playoffs. And, like, if that should impact their coach of the year voting, obviously it shouldn't. But I feel like we're just screwed on that now because obviously we came into this saying Terry Stotts should win the coach of the year. I think if we were allowed to take this first round into consideration, I wouldn't say it at least, and I don't think you would either. Yeah, I mean, I think it's weird how they do it because, like, there's some rumors and stuff that, like, you know, that the first few rounds of the playoffs always sometimes do influence voters, you know, naturally, like natural biases because they vote so much later and, you know, obviously they see it and they hear about it, so it's hard not to happen in your brain and it's hard to just shut it out. Like, there are rumors, you know, when Steve Nash won his MVP in 2006 and stuff that he wouldn't have won the MVP if he didn't beat Kobe Bryant in the first round that year or something like, you know, they have all this weird stuff that they talk about. Yeah, but, I, know, I know you're supposed to uh, vote uh, before the start of the playoffs. I, I guess that's not something that happens. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. I just feel like, to a degree, like, like if, if you're supposed to, so if you're going to vote before the playoffs start, then like when you, that means everyone would be voting in the three day span in between. I'm not sure that I'm not sure how many voters there are total, but I imagine that it would be difficult for all for that to fit someone's schedule. So you know, you never know. I I, I think they come out at a time where it, it would have been. Like, I, I think they come out at a time where they would be voting in the middle of the first round, but I, I'm not entirely sure about that. But 
Um, again, like, because I'll give an example here. Like, Kevin, since we're talking about the defense thing, like, Kevin Love, for example, is one of the worst defenders that I've ever watched in a basketball game. Like, wow. he, in my, I mean, now, I like Kevin Love, but he's not a good defender at all. Uh, he was definitely a little bit better in Minnesota when he retained some of his athleticism and stuff, and he was a complete beast on the boards. He was a good defender then, but ever since he's been in Cleveland, he's been awful. But even though he's been awful, like when the when he, when his when his championship in 2016 depended on him making a defensive stop, he got that defensive stop on Steph Curry. And to me, if a defender as poor as him and as immobile as him in terms of like you know his lateral movement and all that is able to get a stop on a two-time MVP Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time. Um, then I definitely think that a lot of defense has to do with effort. And I don't think Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum provide that on a night. Because even the Cavs are a horrible defensive team, but for the end of the game today, they played stellar defense. So, you know, I think defense is a lot more about player effort than it is about coaching a defensive scheme. Even they're important, don't get me wrong. And, you know, having a good one can make you a better defensive team. But you can always be a good defensive team, even though you don't have the best defensive schemes. Because, I mean, like, you know, like there are teams that just have bad coaches but are still good defensive teams and they can't get stuff going on offense, for example. So, you know. Yeah, no, I get that. And, yeah, I think that pretty much summarizes our thoughts on this series. So, yeah, I, I guess we'll do our uh, standard goodbye to the Trailblazers. It was nice knowing you. It's nice knowing you, Terry Stotts, if you're fired. And, yeah, we look forward to seeing you back in the playoffs next year because uh, God knows there isn't going to be another uh, team coming out of the West. All right, so that wraps up that uh, Trailblazers Pelican series. So, in following the trend that I was hoping to set here, uh, we're going to go on to the five game series. So, I'll give you the choice. Do you want dignity for the Trailblazers? The, not the Trailblazers, we didn't give them any dignity. The Timberwolves, or do you want to go on to the Spurs Warriors? Well, both of those series weren't that interesting to talk about, but I guess I'll talk about this. I, I think Spurs Warriors, I think that'll, that'll just be a little bit. A little bit more interesting. Okay, so uh, we have the Spurs-Warriors series. Obviously, that uh, series ended with the Warriors winning 4-1 to one over the Spurs, with the Spurs only taking Game 4, so, you know, kind of the so-called gentleman's sweep. But, yeah, there really wasn't many saving graces to the Spurs here. Really, really the only... I, I, I hate to say this, but one of the only interesting things that came out of this series was Popovich's wife dying. Yeah, um, that was that was horrible. But, yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's like, I mean... Here's the thing. It's like with the Spurs, it's like when you were watching the games, it, it just like you could just see like the gaping hole that Kawhi wasn't there. Like you could literally just on the floor, you could tell so badly that they needed what like they needed a big presence from a good player. And that like Lamarcus Aldridge just couldn't fill it all the way just and simply because of his play style. So, I mean, just some notes that I have like the Warriors defense was suffocating. They played amazing. Durant had a strong play throughout every game. Clay was extremely efficient. I think he shot, I think his shooting split for the series, field goal percentage, three point percentage, free throw percentage was like 53, 54, and 90 or something. Like he had a great, great shooting series. Um, Kawhi was, they were really missing Kawhi. And even though Lamarcus Aldridge had, I think he had some good games. I think he had two good games in the series. But for the most part in the series, I think he underperformed and he, like, you know, it can sound a little bit critical of him because he did play pretty well, but I thought that he underperformed simply because there were open shots that he was missing that if he made could have changed some of the games in the third quarter because the third quarter was where the Warriors pulled away consistently. Um, so, you know, but San Antonio did step it up at times and they, they, they had a few first halves that made it look like they could win the series. So like game two, for example, they had really good defense in the first San Antonio. However, nobody can guard Kevin Durant still, but they were doing a good job shutting everybody else off. 
to me, Aldridge needed to play better because he's missing shots that he should have made. Transition defense for the Spurs needed to be addressed throughout, and I think Kawhi would definitely help with that if he was there. Um, but, you know, the Spurs good, did a good job in some of the halves, slowing them down, making sure that they played at a slower pace. Uh, the Spurs did a good job weathering the Warriors' runs. Um, Aldridge played big sometimes in the series, you know, but he definitely needed some scoring help. And honestly, it just Clay, at the end of the day, whatever, every time that happened, Clay, Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant would just take over the game in either the third or fourth quarter and they would pull away. Um, and on, like, like you said, the gentleman sweep thing, I definitely feel like game four was just kind of a Popovich's wife died. We're not going to go in here and kill them immediately. Like, it's fine, whatever. Um, so, yeah, that series did, was not that compelling. Um, I mean, I thought that the I thought the Spurs could do a little bit better of a job having Popovich, uh, but you know, you know, who knows? Maybe if he had coached in Game Three, they would have won Game Three, and then it would have been you know two. But then obviously his wife died, and he probably thought that we're going to lose the series anyway, so there's no point in me going. But um, you know, Manu Ginobili showed me uh, he was really interesting. I thought that he's he's still a pretty good player. He's still coming up big in the playoffs. Uh, he's still playing through some nagging injuries, and he's he's a workhorse even though he's 40 years old. So that was impressive. Uh, Lamarcus Aldridge to me needs to become a better three-point shooter just to make him more liable as an offensive threat because uh, his mid-range style really doesn't always drive in the playoffs because if he's on or off, if he's off, then he has no game. Like you know, he, he he's he's a non-factor really. Uh, so because his his whole posting up thing really it doesn't really work that well against the Warriors because Draymond can just take him out of the game because with Draymond's physical defense and then you have Kevin Durant seven feet tall coming over for the double team, it's just impossible for you to score and then. You know, so to me, he needs to be—he needs to be less of a ball stopper because even though that is his play style, I think if he wants to have a longer career, he's going to need to adapt. He's going to need to become a better three-point shooter, need to become a better off-ball mover and stuff. Especially if Kawhi does come back to the Spurs and doesn't get traded, then you know he's going to need to learn how to play with Kawhi, and I don't think that's going to work well if he continues to be a Carmelo Anthony-type post-up mid-range shooter. So, um, but you know, I don't think Lamarcus Aldridge is nearly as bad as a ball as Carmelo Anthony is. But yeah, and you know, I'm gearing up for that one. Yeah, yeah, and then, but yeah, um, I mean, it, I mean, it, it was kind of what we expected. I don't think we thought too much of this. Um, I thought Popovich could coach out coach Steve Kerr, but I guess to a degree, you know, a, a coach can't be out there playing with you. So yeah, it was, uh, a, it was a hopeless when, thing. When the disparity in your starting lineup is literally like it's like Dejounte Murray, Danny Green, Lamarcus Aldridge. I don't even know who they were starting in small court, <laughs> uh, and then. Pau Gasol, who's like 37 years old, versus Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and whoever they put around them. Like it's they have three all stars, and there's just nothing you can do about it. When two like Clay, uh, Clay Thompson has been underrated in the playoffs this far. He's played. Oh amazing. yeah, yeah. Like, like just in the one and one game that I saw, obviously, I I thought he was the hands down the defensive player of the year. He was unbelievable on defense, and like something that I've been doing throughout the games that I'm watching. It's obviously I'm looking for the best defensive player, and basically how I'm doing that is like if I see anyone make a shot against you that like you could have done any better on, I'm taking you out of that conversation. And every game I've seen with Clay Thompson, that hasn't happened yet, and that's that's unbelievable. He's a great he's a great hustler. It's ridiculous. He's he's never made an all defensive team. That's crazy. What? He's never made one. He um that that because last year I checked because. Last year, I think it was warranted that he didn't make one because it was like Patrick Beverly, Chris Paul, Danny Green, and um, someone else. But uh, yeah, he's never made one. But they, I think for this year, if he if he doesn't make one this year, then there's a real problem. Um, uh, so, but yeah, he's never made one. So, but it's weird then because like you know, like what's unfortunate about that to me is that like in you know 10, 15 years when people look back on his career, they're going to be like, oh, this guy was just a shooter. Yeah, no, I, I definitely. But, like, he's a fantastic. 
Like he is literally like you could not build a better three and D player than Clay Thompson. He literally is he's the greatest role player and he might be the greatest role player in NBA history. Like he's such a he's an amazing shooter. Like he's such a good shooter. He like this man single handedly he's literally just a glorified role player. Yet he single handedly won them a game six of a Western Conference final by hitting eleven threes. He plays stellar defense on the best guards in the West consistently. He guards James Harden, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, uh, you know, Devin Booker. Like he guards all these good players on a night to night basis in the West regular season. And he does a great job all the time. Um, he never gets torched. I've never seen him get torched. <laughs> like at the only time that a, that a guard will have an, a, a really amazing scoring game against the Warriors is if they just get switches on Steph all night because Steph's not a good defender. Like every that time Damian Lillard went for 50 something on them, that was because he was getting switched on the Steph the entire night. The time Kyrie went for 41 against them in the finals was because Kyrie was getting switched on the Steph all night. Like Clay Thompson is an amazing player. He's, he's my favorite warrior for sure. Um, he's, and he's, cause he's quiet. He's unproblematic. He just, he does the job. He goes in, he shoots his threes. He's averages like 27, 28 points a game in the playoffs. He elevates his game during the playoffs. Um, and he fills his role. He doesn't complain. He plays amazing. Defense. Like he's literally just a player that literally any team would want to have. And he's a player that could play on any team in the NBA. Um, so like if I was building a starting five of players, I would want Clay Thompson on the team as my shooting guard. Uh, and that's not, not, that's not because he's the best shooting guard in the NBA in terms of all his talent. It's just, he's the best team player. Like he, he can fit with anybody. He could play with anybody. Um, so, but yeah, that's yeah. my tangent of appreciation for Clay Thompson. He had a great series. So did Kevin Durant. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the Spurs just didn't stand a chance without Kawhi. And yeah, he, I mean, he's hands down the best free and D player in NBA history, which is unbelievable because he's only been doing this for like four years. But I think at the very least, you can say he has had the best peak of any free and D player ever. And because yeah. of that, he's the best role player ever. Just imagine if he was like a six man. Oh, holy crap, would that be a good team? Yeah, he would be the greatest six man in NBA history um, yeah. if he was a six man. He he does things that, like, and this, this here's the scary thing about Clay Thompson that I've noticed. I've been watching the NBA since 2000, uh, like, you know, the, the start of the 2015 2016 NBA season, the season that Cleveland won the championship. And what I've seen, like, his numbers have not changed over the years like he has averaged just like close to the same number of points rebounds assists steals blocks and his shooting has gotten a little bit better and you know like it's always really good he's always an extremely efficient shooting guard he's always shooting somewhere in the 40s from three and somewhere in the high 40s from the field and somewhere in the high 80s from the free throw line like he's he's the same player like in terms of his numbers but when you watch him like his he he he, he gets better at things like like, I remember from watching him from the 16, 17, and now this season, like, in these three seasons that I've watched him play, because I watch a lot of Warriors games, because I'm always rooting for them to lose, because, you know, who wouldn't do that unless you're a Warriors fan? <laughs> yeah. So, like, he, he, like, but, like, I've just seen him add elements to his game that I haven't seen. Like, in 16, he was just shooting a bunch of straight-on threes, wasn't doing anything else. And then, you know, as I watched him more throughout that season, like, and just as I've watched, I've watched him progress, and, you know, like, he's... He can take it off the dribble now. He can shoot going sideways. He can shoot going either side. He can shoot from further out. He can drive it to the basket. He can dunk on people. Like, he's more skilled than he gets credit for. And I know a lot of people say that he wouldn't be thriving in the same way that he would if he wasn't on the Warriors. But I don't think that's true. I think that if he played in Cleveland with LeBron James, LeBron James would make the most out of him and he would be amazing. If he played in Philadelphia where they're all a bunch of good 3 and D guys and they have two guys uh, that are commandeering everything, he'd be an excellent third option for their team. If he played in San Antonio with Greg Popovich, he'd literally be Danny Green on steroids. He'd be amazing. If he played in Portland next to CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, he could play small forward at 6'7". He could be amazing as a 3 and D third option for them. 
I feel like there are a lot of places in the NBA that you could fit and thrive. Like he could Minnesota, he could play with Jimmy Butler and as a shoot and you know have him in place of Andrew Wiggins and you'd automatically be a better team. There's so many places that Clay Thompson could fit and make an impact. Um, and I think that's an extremely underrated part about his game. Uh, and that makes me a little bit, uh, you know, that makes me a little bit more okay with the fact that he stole an all NBA spot from James Harden in 2016. I, I was about to say, I think what happened there was they just mixed up the two lists. They were like, Oh, we need to put Clay Thompson on the all defensive team. Okay. Put him here. Oh crap. We put him on the wrong one. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He made all NBA third team, averaging like 21 points when two assists and two rebounds when James Harden was averaging 29, 8, and 6. That was absurd. Yeah, that's... But it's, it's okay. I'll forgive it because Clay Thompson's a great guy, great player. Yeah, and I just like him as a person, too. Like, he, he just yeah, looks like... Cool. Mis- he's cool. He's unproblematic. Yeah, and, like, I was just seeing him, like, expressing some emotion in, like, one of these recent games. Like, I was like, ooh, look at him. He's actually doing something. And that's in comparison to, like, all these other Warriors who are, like, they're losing their minds on the bench whenever someone makes a free or, like, Stephen Curry's doing, like, the salsa or something after he makes a free. And then, like, yeah. Clay, just, he doesn't care. He's like, what? I knew I was going to make that free. So. Yeah, he's, he's a nice, quiet player. He, I, I mean, he, he, like, just to emphasize how good of a role player is for anybody who's not listening Clay Thompson scored 60 points and took 11 dribbles. And I don't mean 11 dribbles as in there were 11 instances in where he started dribbling. I literally mean like 11 bounces of the ball total in 29 minutes, and he scored 60 points. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's still one of the most incredible stats in NBA history. Like, oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, like just even thinking about that. Like, you're, you dribble the ball in basketball, and, I mean, he, he's... <laughs> he just doesn't need to, like... And, in one of these playoff games against the Spurs, I think he had 30-something, 33. Or, I'm not sure what the number was exactly, but he had, he had a good scoring. And he had, he took, he dribbled the ball six times. One, two, three, four, five, six bounces. That's it. <laughs> like, just the, like, you need, like, maybe five or six dribbles just to dribble the ball out the court. So, <laughs> he's absurd. He's, he's so, he's so good at what he does. Um, underrated player. I would love to see him go somewhere else. Um. Just because, of, like, can you imagine if Clay Thompson is in Houston? <laughs> like, oh my God! <laughs> like he'd, he'd literally be their best bomber. Like he'd be he'd, that would be great. Or if he was in Cleveland, LeBron loves to play with players like him. Oh, in Cleveland, yeah. Imagine him with LeBron. That'd be incredible. Yeah, or Phil, or even Philly, because I know you know there's talk about Paul George going there for his style and stuff. But yeah, I mean, Spurs Warriors. I mean, if unless you have anything else to say about it, I think that that pretty much wraps it up for me. Yeah, I'll just go through my notes, I guess. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, yeah, I had best performer in the series, Clay Thompson. His defense was incredible. And, yeah, like I had a surprise performance from uh, JaVale McGee. He kind of slowed down as the series went on and got outperformed by... Oh, yeah, uh, I know. But he, had a, yeah, he had a good start. Yeah, he did. And, and then, uh, let's see, what else? Uh, hmm. uh, yeah, just why the Warriors won. Their defense was awesome. The Spurs offense was miserable throughout the series. Like, they kind of stayed in the games a little bit, but, like, they always ended in blowouts, so, you know, it didn't really make that much of a difference. And, yeah, that's... Oh, oh and one other thing, I was super excited to see Manu Ginobili in the series. He, he was super fun. Like, yeah, he's still got got a lot in the tank, so hopefully he doesn't retire. He's still doing pretty well, and, yeah, I, I was hoping to see a little more out of Rudy Gay, to be honest. I, I, I know we both talked about him heading in, that, like, we didn't really know what to expect, and, yeah, he was pretty much a non-factor. Yeah, he wasn't. He just kind of wasn't there. Yeah. Okay. So that's the Spurs uh, Warriors series. What do you What do you think the Spurs need to do heading into the off season after this uh, five game uh, route in the playoffs? Well, I mean, 
they need they they need to figure out whatever's going on with this uh, Kawhi situation because um, like I, I don't know if you've been following all the reports about the stuff that he's been not saying. Really. Apparently, apparently he's not happy about like he wants he wants the practice to be lighter. He wants po- Coach Popovich to tweak some things. Um, apparently, he's unhappy with the fact that it, you know his shoe deal is not the same. And oh, I've heard about the shoe deal. And then, like, San Antonio can't attract big free agents, aside from Marcus Aldridge, which hasn't really worked out. You know, all this stuff. So I just think that what they need to do is I, you you should not trade Kawhi Leonard because even though that you can you can entertain all the trade packages in the world, you can do all these sorts of things, there is never, like, I've never, I can't think of any trade in NBA history where anybody received equal value for trading a superstar, except for maybe that one deal that Danny Ainge did but that took like five, six years to come to fruition when he traded, you know, for all those picks and stuff because yeah. that allowed for him to build the team that he has now, which, you know, could end up being the powerhouse of the West, you know, going back and forth in Philadelphia for the next few years. So, like, there's no deal to me that you could make, you know, because even if you do, like, you know, some of the deals that I've heard, I've heard uh, you trade Kawhi to the Celtics for Jason Tatum, a first-round pick, and Marcus Morris or whatever. To me, that's not worth it because what if Jason Tatum gets injured? What if Jason Tatum never develops? What if you draft a bad pick? What if Marcus Morris becomes awful? What if Marcus Morris wants to start playing with his brother on some Marquise kind of thing? Whatever. Like, you just – to me, Kawhi Leonard is just such a good player to me. Like, to me, when he's healthy, he's either the second or third best player in the world – you know, he goes back and forth with Kevin Durant because what Kevin Durant makes up, you know, what Kevin Durant can do in terms of his playmaking, Kawhi makes up for it defensively because Kawhi is actually a good defender, whereas Durant is just, you know, a, team, a defender who's, you know, brought up by the fact that his team is such a good defensive team. Like, to me, Kawhi Leonard is just so, such a good player that you can't trade him. His value to me is, I think he's only 26 years old, too. You could, like, and because the Spurs have such a good history of a long dating, you know, talents career, he can be a legitimate star until he's maybe 34, 35 years old. So, um, and even when he, you know, he can become like a Tony Allen type player who's a really good defender late into his career. So, to me, you have to keep Kawhi. So I would try and sign. Re- I would resign him to a max deal. Resign him for the two hundred nineteen million dollar max deal. Uh, I would do whatever it takes to make him happy because, um, you know, he's been through a lot in his life. You know, so I just feel like one, he's a good guy. He deserves it, um, and I think it's a good thing to be patient with him because. You know, people always point to the fact that he doesn't talk and he's not communicative and all that stuff. But a lot of people believe that that goes back to the fact that his father passed away. So that's why he doesn't like to talk a lot and all, all this stuff. I just think that you should resign him just because, simply because of his basketball talent. I mean, he'll keep San Antonio relevant for the next 10, 10 years. Um, and like, all you've got to do is just sign another star to make him happy. So just go out there and aggressively pursue free agents and offer them money. And just work around this. Like, just, there's no reason to be paid Pau Gasol this much money when he's old. Like, I'm sorry, I get he's a cool, I get he's a cool guy and all that, but you don't need to be paying him. Like, they, they, they literally, they, 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 he opted out of his contract and then they signed him for more money last year or two years ago. Like, that, that didn't make any sense. He's so old. Why, why does he need more money? So you just got to make as much cap room as you can. You got to trade some of the. If, I don't know. I don't know if they have that many bad contracts, but like San Antonio, no. just they need new players. Like, they need something new. Like. You can't keep running with this core of, like, Patty Mills and Danny Green and whatever it is. Like, I get it. I get it that they try hard in their work, but they're really not that good. Danny Green is not the defender that he once was. He's not the shooter that he once was either. Um, so, to me, you just got to get quite some help, and you got to make an aggressive pitch to get somebody in the 
offseason, maybe if Houston, maybe if Houston fill, uh, flames out, you can get Chris Paul. Maybe LeBron, you can try and get something for LeBron. Maybe you can try and swing a deal to get someone else. I don't know. Whatever it is, I just think that they really need to aggressively try and re-sign Kawhi because otherwise the Spurs might not be the powerhouse that they are and the NBA is the worst place if it doesn't have one more powerhouse. Well, I mean, they they won't be the powerhouse that they are. We, we saw basically what like the best that they can be with the core that they have right now in this series. And I mean, they didn't have enough offense. And like that's there's no way to look around that. I mean, it's just how it is. And yeah, I, I agree. They do need to retool. Like they have a bunch of great young players, but like also the young players, they don't have a ton of potential. Like uh, players like Kyle Anderson or Dejounte Murray or Patty Mills or or even Manu, like who's not young, obviously, but like they're playing at like the best that they're going to at this point. So like, yeah. you, there's not a lot. There's not a lot more that you can really expect out of the team right now. But I'm curious to see what you'd think about this suggestion. You may you may call it blasphemous, but I I think you might like it. Sorry, that was a that was a Skip Bayless reference, but <laughs> blasphemous, yeah. Yeah. So, I, what about this trade? What if you just straight up traded Kawhi Leonard for LeBron James? Oh, I've heard that. Oh, is that it? That's oh, yeah, that yeah, it? that's it. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Um, uh, if I'm San Antonio, I do it. Um, if I'm Cleveland, I don't, because uh, Cleveland. I mean, <laughs> when you look at how atrocious Cleveland's offense is. Who on God's green earth on that team is going to create offense for the for the team? Kawhi Leonard's not a playmaker, and nobody else on the team can make plays for anybody. George Hill is not good at making plays anymore for whatever reason. He averages like two, three assists now. He can't even be a primary ball handler next to LeBron James. It's so weird why he's like that now, but he just is. Kevin Love can't, can't create plays for anybody else. Jordan Clarkson is the he's like a young Kobe Bryant. He just chucks a chucks a bunch of bad shots. Larry Nance can't make plays. Rodney Hood is not a playmaker. He's not even a good player for whatever reason anymore. Um, we'll get more onto that when I, we talk about the Cavs feature series because that series was awful. But, hmm. um, but yeah, no, I, I don't. I think if you're San Antonio, you definitely yeah, you should do it because LeBron with the coach, and then obviously LeBron will make tweaks to put you know the best people around him in the starting lineup. You know, whatever it is, LeBron will figure it out on the court. Because the thing with it is that the reason that a lot of teams, in my opinion, are so successful is that they have a coach off the court who's really good, and then they have a coach on the court who's really good. You know, so like 2008 when uh, when the Celtics won the championship, right? That this was back when Doc Rivers was, in my opinion, still a good coach. Yeah, you had a good coach on the off the court in Doc Rivers telling everyone where they needed to be, and then you had a good coach on the court telling everyone where they needed to be, which was Rajon Rondo. And then you know you have Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant along with Phil Jackson. You have Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen along with Phil Jackson. You had LeBron James and Dwayne Wade along with Eric Spolstra. So you have LeBron James, the greatest player right now, with Greg Popovich, arguably the greatest coach right now. Some people argue that it's Brad Stevens, Quinn Snyder, whatever. But <clears throat> one of the greatest coaches in the game right now, and one of the greatest coaches ever. So I think that it worked great for San Antonio because you're going to attract so many people because so many people flock to play with LeBron James. You get a lot of veteran shooters. You get a lot of smart guys. You get a lot of veterans. and You just get good players that want to come play with LeBron, regardless, because even if you know, they're a little bit past their prime, they can still offer something valuable, you know, uh, you know, for example, Kyle Korver, uh, and all that stuff. So, um, he was, he was traded for, but you can tell that he was pretty happy about it. So, um, I think if I was a Spurs, yeah, I would try and make the pitch for it, but I don't think it's worth it for Cleveland because I don't really think that they would get, they, they wouldn't get better. I don't think, um, and they just don't, they would have to bring in a new playmaker, and that'd be kind of difficult to find right now because I don't think there are that many good playmakers available in the offseason market. 
aside from Chris Paul, but I don't think Chris Paul would want to come play with Kevin Love and Kawhi Leonard when he could go play in San Antonio with LeBron or go play in uh, New Orleans with Anthony Davis or go play in uh, Houston with James Harden. So, yeah. Okay, I, I can understand that. And uh, To be honest, it was based on the contingency that like LeBron is not staying in Cleveland, which I thought we had both, both agreed on at this point. It was actually oh, bizarre. Yeah, no, I don't think you will. No, and of course not. Unless they win the championship, then there's no way. And even if they win the championship, they need to gut this roster and figure something out because this this roster is atrocious. It's so bad. No, this the Cavs were the only... We'll talk about this later. Yes. Like I said, the Cavs were the only... like They were so bad. Oh my gosh. No, I, I definitely agree with that, and I can't wait till we get to that. Unfortunately, it's probably going to be the last one that we get to, so, you know, we'll tease you guys on that one, but, yeah, not good. So, so yeah, that covers Spurs Warriors for the most part. I mean, yeah, you know, Kawhi and his situation, we'll see what happens in the offseason, but, like, I, I think the Spurs should definitely re-sign him. They should do their best to make him happy because you're not going to be able to find deals worth it unless, of course, you acquire a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant. Yeah. So let's cross our fingers he stays in San Antonio and he just gets over whatever ego complex he has right now. And like I kept hearing about like his posse or whatever that is. His group, yeah. He's got a group apparently. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know what the deal with that is, but yeah, hopefully he gets his head in the game or whatever. Because yeah, this this is just it's just silly. Like yeah, this is not the kind of thing you expect from him and I don't know, maybe we had the wrong idea of him, but like he's twenty six. We've known him for a while. It's not it's not like the, he you just change overnight. So yeah, I, I mean, and like, it's not all enough. Some people have been pointing to the fact that it's like this new thing because he's the face of the franchise. Like, he was the face of the franchise. Yeah, it's last been year a while. Like, yeah. Like, he, I mean, like, he, he was the best player. He, he was one of the best players in the league last year. He was finished third in MVP voting. He was only, the, he was ahead of LeBron James in MVP voting last year, which is this, that's absurd. But he was, and he, he played well. So, you know, he averaged like 26 points per game last year. He, he was a legit star last year. He was second in defensive player of the year voting. Coming off back-to-back defensive player of the year awards, like you know, he's not. It's not like he's. It's not like he's a. You know. It's not like he's some kid who needs some yeah some ego issue or whatever. I don't really know what his problem is. I mean, some people say he's still hurt, but he's cleared, and his doctors in New York haven't cleared him. The Spurs doctors have, so I mean, I don't want to make any assumptions, but he just needs to come back whenever. Yeah, at the very least, he's going to be healthy next season, unless he has something that's career-threatening. But I think that'd be surprising to everyone at this point. Yeah. Well, you know what? Who would have guessed that he wouldn't play, eh, really play at all this season? So I'm not going to say that, but let's cross our fingers. So yeah, that's that's the Warriors uh, Spurs series. So Spurs, you got a lot to do in the off season. Regardless, if you got the Kawhi situation fixed, you got to repair that roster. You got to bring in some new players. You got to figure out if Manu is going to start joining the coaching staff along with Tony Parker. And yeah, we say goodbye to you, Spurs. Alright, so that uh, wraps up our second series, so now we have two options for the other uh, Game 5 series. We have the Rockets uh, Timberwolves, and then we have the 76ers uh, Heat. Which one do you want to do first? Uh, well, why don't we just get Rockets Timberwolves out of the way? That'll be pretty easy. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, so this uh, this series ended up being uh, five games, obviously, with the Rockets winning four, Timberwolves winning one, and unfortunately the Timberwolves weren't particularly competitive aside from the one game they won. Yeah, I mean... This is this was a weird, weird, weird series for me as a Timberwolves fan. It, it made me feel a lot of different things. <laughs> it was really strange. But um, I guess I'll just get started with um, some game notes. Um, Derrick Rose was contributing. Butler was attempting threes. Wiggins was not playing in interesting stretches. The lineup with Rose, Butler, Gibson, Towns, and Jamal Crawford was pretty good. 
Um, it was a good center matchup. Or it seemed like it was going to be a good center matchup between Capella and Towns, but Capella ended up dominating it. Yeah. Wolves surprisingly keeping up with the Rockets in threes and offensively all around in the first game. It wasn't a great defensive first half of game one for Minnesota, but Harden was dancing, D. Rose was answering. Minnesota was playing well, given that Towns had a really, really off night. Capello went 20 and 10 in the first half of game one, 20 points and 10 rebounds in the first half yep. of game one. Not a great showing from Butler and Towns, but the defense ended up being better in the second half and towards the end of the game. And uh, Harden's sensational 44 point game uh, took it from the wolf, took it away from the Wolves, and barely got the Rockets to win. The Rockets and the team played horribly, but James Harden had a really good game. Uh, game two was just the opposite. Harden had a horrible game, but the rest of the Rockets had a great game. The Wolves were down 15 before halftime, even though Harden was 1 of 10 and 0 for 4 from 3. And it's crazy. He was 1 of 10 from the field and 0 of 4 from 3, yet he still had 9 points because he attempted 8 free throws, and he hit all of them. Cat uh, had another horrible night. Uh, no one on the Wolves had attempted more than 3. Uh, no one on the Wolves had attempted more than 3 free throws, and Harden had attempted 8 already. Cat was 2 for 9 shooting, Towns only had 5 points, Butler had 11, he only had 82 as a team, which is horrible offensively. Gerald Green had 21 points and 5 threes, and CP3 and Gerald Green. Chris Paul essentially single-handedly beat them by feeding Gerald Green and scoring for himself. Harden went 2 for 18 and only had 12 points, and the Rockets still won by 20. And Jimmy only shot 6 shots, and uh, Towns only shot 9. So, um, those are just some notes that I had from the series, and like, it was so weird to me because, first of all, I don't know why on earth Jimmy Butler and Towns... How does Jimmy only take six shots in a playoff game? That, that makes no sense. Why is Towns only shooting nine shots in a playoff game? Why is Derrick Rose and Andrew Wiggins shooting more shots than you? Why did Towns have a horrible series? He had one good game, I think, in this series, which was a game they won. It was game three, or maybe a two-week games, but he just started off the series so poorly that he just didn't, didn't even give them a chance, like... If, if Towns had a good night in game one, but not even a great night, if he had a decent night in game one, if he had like 15 points and 13 rebounds, or if he had like 17 points and 8 rebounds or whatever, if he had an average night for him, <clears throat> like, they would have won. So, <laughs> I mean, I just don't get it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And like, that was going to be my big point here is just it. It seemed like Ever Carl Anthony Towns was completely ineffective, or like they weren't feeding him the ball. Like the one game that they did win, he ended up having uh, let's see, uh, twenty two points. So like that was big for them, and, and like also twenty three points in the game that they ultimately lost to lose the series. But yeah, like he was not getting a lot of uh, even field goal attempts. He was getting like nine, nine, thirteen in the first three games. So that's not enough. For, like they need to be feeding him the ball, especially when he's playing like forty minutes in the game. And then in the second game, like this brings up like a problem that I've been noticing more and more often with NBA coaches is that when players get into foul trouble, they're getting put on the bench, which makes no sense because why would you uh, put someone on, on the bench because they may get another foul versus they definitely won't help you being on the bench. Like that doesn't make sense to me. It's like my same problem in baseball with the closer. Like so obviously playing 24 minutes in game two didn't help him that much. So, yeah, what the hell was that? Like what? how? How do you only play 24 minutes in a playoff game? I don't care about Especially on a Fibido team. Yeah, like, what? Like, why was... I think Derrick Rose might have legitimately been their best player in the series, and I love Derrick Rose to death. I feel so bad for the guy, and I love him, but that, you, no. You can't be in 2018 and have Derrick Rose be your best player in a playoff series and expect to even have a chance of winning. Wiggins is their third best player, maybe, depending on how you view how good Taj Gibson is. He might be their third best player, Andrew Wiggins, and he was leading the, leading the team in field goal attempts. Like, why was Wiggins shooting so many shots and Butler was just, 
like Jimmy Butler just didn't even. That was I was so disappointed in him. I love him as a player, but why why hasn't he ever played well in the playoffs? Like he had a bad series last year. Rajon Rondo was carrying the Bulls. He had a, like maybe he just gets tired throughout the regular season because of how hard he works, and you know maybe something was weird with his injury, but. To me, that's not an excuse because in the playing game against Denver, he had like 32 or 31. Yeah. And he, he carried them to that win almost. Like, he was the best player in that game. And here come the playoffs, and I guess, I don't know what his issue was. Um, I don't know. It was it was just such a weird thing. Um, however, the interesting thing about Minnesota, though, is I don't think that they're going to, like, I don't think they're going to make that many changes because no. yeah, if you can't. look at it, like, this way, because this is this is a little bit of a silver lining, I guess. Like if, if Butler had never gotten injured, they would have been the fourth seed. Like they they were locked in between three and four the entire year. Yeah. Um, they were on pace to I think win fifty three to fifty four games when Butler was playing. They they were a below five hundred team without him this season. So, and he missed I think maybe twenty games or something something close to that. Uh, maybe it was like somewhere between like sixteen to twenty. I'm not sure exactly. Um, but they I mean if they if he had played all year. They would have had a higher ranking and probably would have had an easier matchup. Um, they probably would have won the first round series, and then we wouldn't have had to ask all these questions. And at the end of the day, like regardless of what we, say, I mean, the Rockets are an amazing team. Clint Capella just had a really good series as well. So I think it's it's one. You, I don't think you can overreact to the results of the series because it is Towns' first. He had a really bad first playoff, two playoff games, um, and you know that's that's not a good sign, I guess. But you know, not everybody can be Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons where you just completely show out and become a star in the playoffs in your first game. Some players yeah. do take a couple. It does take some players to find a rhythm and, you know, have some time. So maybe, like, I'm sure Towns, I doubt he's going to have these playoff struggles for the rest of his career because he, to me, he seems like he's a transcendent talent. He's, like, the most efficient big man in basketball. He's, you know, that doesn't only shoot at the rim. Like, he, he's, he was relatively close to a 50-40-90 as a big man. He, he shoots, like, 43% from three, which is just absurd, and 54% from the field. So I doubt these struggles are going to follow him for the rest of his career. So I don't think it's, you know, I don't think you need to overreact. Jimmy Butler's still going to be in the next year. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a big deal that they lost the series. It just, it really was more weird to me than it was disheartening because, you know, the fact that Derrick Rose is still pretty good was, you know, that was, that was a nice surprise Yeah. because, uh, you know, that shows that he's probably still going to find um, a role in the NBA as, you know, maybe a really good backup point guard or something. He can be kind of like a Tony Parker is now where, you know, diminished athleticism, but still thrive on penetrating to the rim and creating good looks for teammates. And, you know, he's using some of his athleticism to play some good defense now, which is good. And uh, he plays with energy and, you know, he's pretty good. So uh, he could be, uh, you know, he just needs to work on developing his outside shooting stroke a little bit to at least become a threat when he's wide open or, you know, just from the corners or something like that. So, um, you know, that was a good sign for him. I'm not sure he's he's on a minimum, so I think he's going to be a free agent again. So we'll see where he ends up going. Minnesota will probably end up re-signing him, assuming yeah. they still have Thibodeau. Why not? Yeah, they should sign him. I think they should. I mean, but you never know. Maybe he'll get a decent offer from somewhere else and he'll choose to go there. So who knows? But um, as far as next season goes, the only thing that I would entertain in the offseason is maybe trying to get rid of Andrew Wiggins because he. I get that he puts up good scoring numbers, so he doesn't really look like a bust. But to me, he's a little bit of a bust because – um, first of all, it should be noted that he would not have went first in the 2014 NBA draft if Joel Embiid had not been injured yes. uh, and had a broken foot. He, Joel Embiid would have far and away been the number one pick, and that would have been a whole other what-if story of you know Joel Embiid going to Cleveland and then maybe LeBron James not sure, whatever, but um, all this stuff. So um, 
Andrew Wiggins is not a good rebounder, defender, passer, shooter. He has not made any developments in his game. He just shoots more shots inefficiently, so he ends up scoring a few more points. He's not developing as a player. He's not developing as a talent. He's 6'8", strong, athletic, can do 720-degree dunks, but doesn't play any defense. It's absurd. He's already he's played in the league for like what four years now, so 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah, this was his fourth year in the league. He's made no developments, and he's he, his numbers. He's a third option, but his numbers look worse this year. He's got less efficient, not a good free throw shooter. He's just like well, well there's he doesn't really have any value in a trade. But I don't know. Maybe, you, again, desperate teams out there, you never know what you can get. Maybe you can try and move him and get some expiring contracts, make some cap room, whatever it may be. But I don't think they should sign him to a max extension or anything like that. Um, unless uh, I don't know if he already has or not. So yeah, yeah. And, and the Minnesota's kind of screwed themselves with uh, Wiggins because they signed him to that massive extension before the season. So no, did, yeah, 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 that sucks. So, so. yeah, it, that was not great. But I just want to give Derrick Rose credit because I know at least from at least I was definitely uh, really down on Derrick Rose when he uh, signed with the Timberwolves. I was like, oh, Derrick Rose, why'd you get him? He's horrible on the Cavs. He's going to play terrible defense. He's going to be horrible from the three-point line. And he, yeah, it, it seems like just whenever he's with the Bulls, he's a great player. And yeah, if they could bring him back on a low-paying deal, that he would be an awesome role player for them. Yeah, because, I mean, like, if you look at it, I get it's only a five-game sample size, but they, these were big, meaningful games, and he averaged 15 points, and he shot 71% from the free-throw line, again, a uh, three-point line. And I, I get it, like, it's a small sample size, but still, if, if Derrick Rose can be a comparable three-point shooter from, like, from at least the, just just the corners, because, like, just look at Rajon Rondo. Rajon Rondo's not a good shooter by any means, but he's now he's added the corner three to his game, and it just makes him just so much more versatile as an offensive threat. And Derrick Rose is... Honestly, in, just simply in terms of athleticism, he's probably still a top five point guard, and he 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 really is like you got like in terms of skilled finishers around the rim, he can he really can still finish almost anything. Like he's not throwing it down with dunks anymore, but just his his control on layups, his ability to spin either hand off the glass, reverses like all that stuff is it's still spectacular. You know, you've got like Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Steph Curry, and then you know I I put him in that conversation so. Just in terms of that ability, not in terms of overall talent by any means, but and then he is using some of that, you know, that remaining athleticism to be a better defender. He was he was part of the reason why Harden only went two for eighteen that night. He, he really contributed on defense, and uh, he surprised me, and I was happy with it. Um, you know, he's he, I don't think I think it's completely out of the question now by this point. And this 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 ship sailed, I believe, about three years ago for him to ever return to being the MVP caliber yeah. player that he is, but. He can still be a good, meaningful player. He can be a good piece of a, you know, a, a team. And I just, I just hope he doesn't go and play on the Warriors because that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be a weird sign. But yeah, no, no, I want to. Yeah, he, he's good. And I, I'm curious to see from your game notes who, who did you have as the best defensive player in these games? Oh, um, in this whole series? Uh, or? I, I, you can just name all five. Uh, well, okay, so I had I had Derek Rose being up there. I had Chris Paul. I had Clint Capella. Uh, I had uh, Jimmy Butler and Luke Mbamute. Ba- uh, no, Luke Mbamute was not. PJ Tucker, sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, that all makes sense. Okay, so at least Jimmy Butler is having some influence then. Yeah, okay. to me, I mean, he, he played okay defense. He was just off, offensively. He was, like, it's not, he, he was, he's still always a good defense. Like, he was in the right spots, right rotations. He was he was doing good on Harden for, you know, as, as well as you can do on Harden. So, uh, without giving up all those dumb fouls and all that stuff, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was fine, but defensively, offensively, I don't know what was wrong with him. Maybe there was something in his water and Gatorade from when he sat in the All-Star break. Who knows? Whatever. But 
it's shocking, but Thibodeau is he, it's weird when you watch his games. It's always it's always weird stuff with Tom Thibodeau. So yeah. Yeah, and, and I think you pretty much uh, covered uh, what they need to do in the offseason. Just if you can trade Andrew Wiggins, but it's probably not going to happen. Maybe get another good role player since uh, Jamal Crawford's getting kind of old. Who knows? So maybe he'll retire after this season. And we'll see. Maybe he, make a strong push to get LeBron. <laughs> uh, yeah, who knows? It'll, it'll never happen. But, I mean, LeBron, Tom Butler, you know, a guy can dream. So. Yeah, uh, sure. Well, get, get LeBron. That'd be great. But yeah, so that pretty much concludes the Timberwolves-Rockets series. So Timberwolves, just like the two previous teams, you didn't really give it a good shot, to be honest. You're kind of underwhelming. You could have faced the Trailblazers if you had won some more games. So, you know, really go at it in the regular season next year. And uh, at least Rod looks forward to seeing all 82 games for you next year. So Yes, yeah. I believe in you, Jimmy. Come back yeah. and be good. So we thank you for your performance. All right, so now we have the last uh, five-game uh, series for the first round. We have the 76ers-Heat series, which I, I think it both surprised us uh, in its length. I think I, I always thought it was going to go all seven games. I thought the Heat were going to put up more of a performance, at least on the defensive end, but they kind of just got run over by the 76ers. Yeah, um, I thought that, uh, I mean, I thought it would go six. I wasn't entirely. I mean, on, I thought that he could win, uh, you know, because of experience and uh, Joel Embiid missing a couple games and all that. I didn't know that Ben Simmons was going to be this good, but Ben Simmons really established himself as an amazing player. I mean, he's he's so good. He's I mean, he averaged like I think eighteen points, ten rebounds, and like or ten assists and eight rebounds or whatever it was. Um, I think he had a triple double in one of the games. I'm not sure, but yeah, he did first game. Yeah, uh, he has playmate. He was dominating. He was dominating through his playmaking, and he plays good defense. I guess it's pretty easy for him to play good defense since he's a seven, like close to seven foot tall point guard. He was guarding Goran Dragic, so you know, size wise, <laughs> it's never going to be a good matchup for Goran. He just he was just relying entirely on his quickness. Um, but yeah, uh, from game one, just some notes I had. Uh, the Heat were leading by ten with like ten seconds left in the first quarter, but the Sixers cut it to four because Fultz made two really quick plays. Um, he scored like. He scored like six points in a matter of like seven seconds or something like that. Sixers demolished them throughout. <laughs> they just couldn't match Ben Simmons' playmaking. Uh, Marco Bellinelli had a surprisingly good game in series. And you know, you know what? They couldn't match Ursan Ilyasova's play in that first game. He was yeah, incredible. Yeah, that was weird. He, he was, I mean, he's one of those players that I think we we, we bag on him a lot because he's just Ursan Ilyasova. But like, yeah. he played he played pretty well. Uh, and the best defensive player from the series that I had was Robert Covington. I thought he did a fantastic job. Yeah, I agreed. Yeah, game two, Dwayne Wade, has, he played extremely well in the first half. Um, he tone-setting game for him. That was the game I think he had 28. Uh, team defense and ball movement, they weathered all the Sixers' runs. They over uh, overcame a big night from Ben Simmons. Um, you have to uh, That would have been the ideal game for Joel Embiid to have played in that series if they wanted to sweep. Uh, Josh Richardson was uh, played good defense in that game. J.J. Reddick caught my attention throughout game two, and Dwayne Wade played some clutch defense down the stretch. So, um, And then, you know, game three was the game that the Heat should have won. Was that the game that the Heat should have won that, that was closer than? Yeah, they should have won. They won. They did win game yeah. four. Yeah, Dwayne Wade missed a shot that, you know, he probably should have taken a smarter shot, but he still had a pretty good game. Um, you know, I mean... I just expected more from the Heat, and I think the most disappointing player from the series will agree on this was Hassan Whiteside. He really yes. didn't show up. And, um, and he was our X factor in the series. We said if Hassan Whiteside is really good, if he locks down uh, Robert Covington and Joel Embiid, then the Heat have a good chance to win this series. 
and he sucked. Let's, let's yeah, just he, face he it. really sucked, and now he's apparently there's an issue with him now. He wants to be traded because he doesn't because apparently he thinks Spolster's not giving him a chance. But I'm going to give Spolster the benefit of the doubt and say if he's not giving him a chance. There's a good reason he's not giving him a chance. No kidding. So, you know that that series was it was really disheartening. I, I wanted that one to go seven because um, I guess now it's it would have been less embarrassing for LeBron James if you know there were three series in the East going seven instead of his and the Celtics when they had no talent. So. Well, I won't say no talent, but less talent. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, the series was interesting, I guess. Now, I guess the only question going forward in the offseason is, are the Sixers going to get LeBron James? Do they really need LeBron James? Are they going to win the East this year? And uh, is Dwayne Wade going to retire for the Heat? And where are you going to send Hassan Whiteside? So, that series did create a little bit of questioning for the for the offseason. So, um, that was cool. But I, I just hope the Heat can probably acquire some – I hope they can acquire some talent because I think the NBA is better when the Heat are good. Similar to how you know, like the uh, the NBA is good when the Celtics and Lakers are good. It's good for the league. They need to have been one of the more premier franchises, uh, you know, for this for this recent stretch of basketball in this new era. Uh, ever since LeBron went there, and even prior to that, when Shaq and Dwayne Wade were there. So, um, you know, it's been it's been one of the better teams in the NBA for the past decade or so. So, I think it's good if they're good. So, hopefully, they can make some moves and be relevant again because Spolstra finally, for the first time in a couple of years, deserves to be coaching actually good players instead of coaching a bunch of like glorified role players. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I, I would love to see the Heat be better. I agree. They're, they're a really fun team to see when they're good. And obviously, the LeBron years, we even in the mid uh, 2000s, getting to see him get that championship and that terribly called uh, NBA Finals. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, something that I noticed was I, I didn't think Jason Richardson was playing nearly, not Jason, why did I say that? Josh Richardson was playing nearly as much as he should be in the in the playoffs. Yeah, but, he was playing. He's a good player. He's such a good two-way player. He's a good shooter, and he's a good defender. Yeah, and he was playing good defense. And like what I, basically what I did in all the games that I watched was I just watched like the player that I thought was going to be best on defense. And like every time I was watching the Heat, I was like, where is Josh Richardson? I can't, yeah, he is their best defensive player, uh, especially, I mean, especially given that Hassan Whiteside was awful. Now, all of a sudden, it was weird. I mean, like, Hassan Whiteside, was, he was averaging like over three blocks a game two years ago. Yeah. When he led the league in block, like what happened to him? Like how how do you just and he led the league in rebounding last year? How do you just not become a fact? Like I get that he can't shoot from the outside, but I mean, like so. Yeah, who was <laughs> like, the backup? He should have been in the game. Yeah, who who was backing him up? I I just completely forget. Uh, I don't even. It was I think were they going with Bam Adebayo, the rookie? Yeah, I guess it must have been. Yeah, because uh, Kelly Olynyk was playing as well, but I don't know if they were. Playing I think he was time. power forward. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think they were running Bam Adebayo and uh, Kelly Olynyk as their bigs, along with like Dwayne Wade, Josh Richardson, or actually not Josh Richardson. They were going Dwayne Wade, Goran Dragic, and uh, Tyler Johnson was playing most of Jason uh, Josh Richardson's minutes, which is weird. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would have liked to see him come off the bench more. I mean, he was good in the series. Don't get me wrong, but like, Josh, yeah, he needed maybe, that maybe defense. Was trying to figure out some answer for the way that maybe he was trying to match with the seventy sixers lineup, but. Because, you know, because Bam is a little bit more athletic than Hassan is. So, I don't know. I mean, it was a weird series. Um, but I, the Heat definitely should have won game three. This should have at least won six, if not seven. So, that was disappointing. The Heat really just fell apart in one of the games. And I feel like it was more about the Heat falling apart in the series than it was the Sixers thoroughly dominating them. So, I think people should slow their roll on the Sixers just a little bit. Because I do have some faith in the Celtics uh, in round two. They'll be matching up against each other. So um, the Celtics, because the Celtics impressed me in the first round series. So yeah, I mean that series wasn't all too compelling. Like it should have been. That was probably the most disappointing series in my opinion. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And uh, Ben Simmons, he was awesome. As we mentioned earlier, he just came into the playoffs and it looked like he was ready to go. And yeah, he uh, got the triple-double in the first game. He was just an awesome passer. It was a lot of fun to see him running the point guard. That was a lot of fun to see. And when a Joel Embiid eventually came back, the masked warrior himself, uh, that that was fun. But like, I'd like to see him against a center that can actually play competently because we basically didn't learn anything about him in that series. Yeah, like we didn't really understand if he could take his game to another level because he really wasn't faced with any competition. And um, you know, you know, there was there were some fun moments with him though. Like Justice Winslow stepped on his mask and he said, "Hi, uh, he still can't slow me down or whatever." Justice Winslow was playing pretty well in the series as well. Yeah, uh, underrated factor in the series. Um, he, you know, he I think he has some, some pretty good potential. I think end up I think like a career projection for Justice Winslow. I think he'll end up making some all defensive teams because he is a he's a even in his rookie season he was a very good defender. Um, and you know, you know, he could probably get up to somewhere on averaging like 16, 17 points sometime in his career if he just developed his three point shot. So yeah, which was really yeah. nice to see because like he was not good the season at all, and like everyone was like, oh, he's the bust of the draft or whatever. But yeah, he kind of came through in the playoffs. Yeah, it was weird. Like he had a good rookie season, then he had a bad last season, but then he had an injury, and then this year he was coming back from injury, so he didn't play that well. And then the rotation minutes because jo- jo- Josh Richardson and Tyler Johnson they all play around the same spot. All the stuff. So, but you know, this year he showed that you know he's he's not really all that bad. So he can he can be a part of their future plan. I don't think they need to worry too much about him. Uh, just I guess the biggest thing for the Heat, like I said, it was just you need some talent on the wings because I mean you can roll with having Kelly Olynyk as your as one of your better big men because you have so many teams in the league that don't have good big men and that are just good shooters. Um, a lot of teams do that, and that's kind of the position that they leave alone now because you don't really need anything there. And Bam Adebayo will develop hopefully into a good good defensive player around the rim and all that. So, and he's athletic. So, you know, all that stuff. And then, um, I just think they need talent on the wings to put next to Goran Dragic and Dwayne Wade if he decides to re-sign. Yeah. Do you expect him Doesn't to? Retire. I don't think he'll retire. I think he'll, I think he'll play one full season in Miami or two full seasons in Miami before they call the quiz. But, uh, definitely not any more than two years. Cause he, he's already like 36, I think. Yeah. It just seems like he still has something in the tank, but obviously he is getting up there in age. Yeah, I mean, he had 28 and 25 in the series, so he, he can still win you some playoff games in the right situation, so. Yep, so, okay, do we have anything else on this series? No, not really. Uh, that 76ers bench, big plus for them. I look forward to seeing how they're going to do against the Celtics bench, and, uh, yeah, we basically talked about what the Heat need to do, just bring something else, maybe get another center if you want to, but like there aren't that many centers on the market right now. And Boogie, maybe they can get Boogie and figure something out. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be interesting. It has he has like an Alonzo morning role? Yeah, that could work. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And hey, well, even if he's injured, he could have like a Shaq role from two thousand six. Yeah, because, I mean, because Pat Riley is one of like Pat Riley is known for being able to light fire under players and get them to play better. So maybe he can do something about Demarcus Cousins to get him to play some winning ball. Yeah, I mean, he can make him Boogie. All right. Yeah. So. That was the 76ers Heat series. That was the shortest one. That shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. The Heat probably didn't give us that much to talk about. So, Heat, good luck with that Hassan Whiteside situation. I hope you are super happy with that max deal you gave him before the season. And, yeah, good luck. Okay. So that wraps up our... Uh, that, well, that's half of the series, actually. We're making okay time here. So, okay. We have uh, two game sevens, uh, you know, like two seven game series and two six game series. So obviously we're going to start with the two six game series. So those being the Jazz uh, Thunder series and the Raptors uh, Wizards series. So I, I'm just going to take the 
take the ultimatum here. We're going to start with the Raptors uh, Wizard series because I don't think there's as much to say about that one. But yeah, that's true. I agree. All right. So in this series, the Raptors uh, obviously won the first, won four games and. It basically just played out as like a home home series. Aside from that sixth game, the Raptors winning the first two, the Wizards taking two, and then the Raptors just regaining form and finishing out, finishing out with the Wizards. Now, what I'm curious to hear is why the Wizards won those two games. Because as we both know, I didn't get to watch any of that series. Well, the reason that they won those two games was because in typical Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry fashion, they had bad games. Ah. And <laughs> John, I see that's literally all you need. Demar Derozan didn't show up for Game Three. One, I think one of the games he shot like five of thirteen or something and didn't have a great night. So uh, John Wall and Bradley Beal just took over those two games. John Wall played extremely well in those two games. I think he had like twenty-five points and fourteen assists in one of those games, and we just he controlled the tempo of the game throughout. Um, which I mean, that showed me that John Wall is still capable. Of, John Wall is an interesting player because. Similar to the Marcus Cousins thing, people say that even though he gets his numbers, he doesn't really play winning basketball because he's difficult to get along with. He was yelling at Marcin Gortat on the bench for one of the games, and Bradley Beal had a towel on his head and all, all this stuff. Um, so, but for game one, basically, it was a good game throughout. John Wall looked pretty good. DeRozan and Lowry didn't choke in game one like they usually do. First time in 10 playoff series that the Raptors won a game one. Yeah, that was um, nice to see. Yeah, there were some nice lead changes, and it was just good basketball throughout the first game. For game two, DeRozan started off pretty strong. The Raptors had a big first quarter with a franchise record 44 points and a 44-27 lead. Lowry needed to find something good. He didn't play too well. Beal and Wall needed to be better. Raptors were in control throughout, but there were some good contributions from Jonas Valanciunas, which I'm sure you would have loved to see. Yeah. Uh, the Wizards made a slight comeback throughout the fourth, but they never finished it out, and the Raptors ended up taking game two. Then game three, like I mentioned earlier, John Wall 25-14. and 14. Bradley Beal, he played pretty well. Um, he also played pretty well in Game 4, I believe. And I think even in Game 6, he had a good game when they lost. But um, basically, like you said, it was a home-home series, and it was kind of like the first two games on the road was DeRozan and Lowry played good. Um, then the second two uh, games in the series was John Wall and Bradley Beal played better. And then Game 5, DeRozan had a good game. And then Game 6, they just finished it out, where both of them had a good game, DeRozan and Lowry, and uh, they couldn't. Uh, Bradley Beal couldn't overcome it by himself. He didn't get enough contributions from Marcin Gortat and John Wall. So... Um, that series was it was it was literally just a, your average playoff series like you expect from a one or it, it, it played out kind of more like a like a three six series you'd expect rather than a one eight because a one eight should probably have been five games. The Raptors could have swept them if they were just engaged and DeRozan and Larry didn't do what they always do. So you know, but I think at this point nobody ever expects them to have good consistent series. They always have a couple games where they're just not. Yeah, so just uh, some notes for me. I, w I was super impressed by the bench mob in that first game. They were awesome coming off the bench, even without Fred Van Fleet. He just, they, they were just raining down on the freeze. DeLon Wright was awesome. Uh, what was his name? Jakob Pertl was getting a bunch of blocks. That was super impressive. Uh, was there anything else really impressive from that first game? Not really. I mean, it was basically how I expected. Lowry uh, was bad, but, you know, Lowry's always bad in the playoffs. DeRozan played really well. And, yeah, I was expecting the rest of the series to just fall that way. So good for the Wizards to even take two games and save some face on what was a pretty crappy season overall. And they're going to try and blame it on the wall injury, but let's be real. They just did not play well this season. And I, I want to give you credit on this. You were completely right about John Wall and being a complainer to the refs. I couldn't believe how many times he would you know, just start bitching to the refs about a call and being like, oh, wait, really? You're going to call that against me? Yeah, he really is a, he's a whiner, that John Wall guy. It's ridiculous. Yeah, um, he just he gets upset too frequently. He, he has a temper issue. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, it was what I expected, though. Yeah, so... 
Actually, also, uh, I, I thought uh, Markeith Morris was pretty good in the first game. I don't know if he kept that up throughout the series, but yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Marcus was definitely playing for him. No, uh, Mar <laughs> Markeith. No, 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 I know, but there's like a joke. Oh, oh, I see. My bad. Uh, I, I just missed that. Markeith plays well, people are saying that it's Marcus suited up for him because they have identical tattoos, so nobody can tell the difference between them. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and they have like the same voice, too. That, that's just a, that was a conspiracy that people started on Reddit in like 2016. When the when Boston was winning whatever because he started Marcus Morris started playing bad so everyone was like oh my god it's actually Markeith. yeah also I I had no idea that Lowry apparently led the league in charges that's pretty impressive. oh yeah he's actually a pretty tenacious defender he's not he's not the he used to be a pretty good on ball defender but he's he's a, he's actually not that young he's like thirty two or thirty three so as that but he's still a smart defender he's really good at position positional defending getting steals getting in the passing lanes um, taking charges like you just said and. Uh, you know, he, he bothers a lot of shots, and he bothers a lot of uh, perimeter players. Yeah. You know, he doesn't always stop them. He does his best, which is which I like. I like Kyle Lowry. He's a fun personality. He's a, he's a fun player. Um, he just needs to show up more consistently in the playoffs. Yeah, and that's probably going to be what the second round series comes down to, honestly. So just a couple other interesting notes from the actual games. Uh, and what, one of the stats I saw in the first game was that uh, apparently last year, the Raptors averaged the lowest assists on made baskets of any team since the 1989 Nets. So that's incredible, with that being a .48 assists per made field goal. So that's a really heavy isolation uh, ball. And, and then this year, they were 11th in the league at uh, 0.59 assists per uh, made basket. So that's a massive turnaround. So I think that's what you're talking about with Dwayne Casey really revitalizing offense. And something that the lab was mentioning was that it seemed like the Raptors, when they were losing, it was because they were going back to isolation heavy ball. And there was an incredible stat where, Apparently, DeRozan in the second half of it was either Game Three or Game Four, he had like a sixty percent usage. So that's great. That's really not good for your offense. Yeah. And, and then one other thing: uh, apparently, Gortat has a giraffe. Who knew? Is a what? He has a giraffe. Apparently. But where? What you yeah, at his house? I don't know. I guess he has a permit or something. That's weird. But okay, that's cool. Yeah, you'll have yes. to look up pictures. <laughs> uh, he's cool. I like Marcin Gortat. He's also a fun personality. The Polish hammer. Yeah. But, uh, I actually saw him in person once. I couldn't believe how long his nose was. Yeah, oh, really? Where did you see him? Uh, I, I went to like a Wizards game one time. And, yeah, like it was... oh, oh, yeah, yeah. He does have a big nose. But, oh, well. I mean, Marcin Gortat is one of those players. I think he'd be better off somewhere else. Uh, he's a really good pick and roll player. I just feel like John Wall yelling at him all the time kind of deters his you know, focus and ability to do stuff. John Wall really is a complainer. I just think if he gets his personality under control and let his play speak for itself, then he'll warrant more respect from the officials. But like, like, like you said, like I think there was, he made a statement after like three of the six games that like, Oh, like I'm not getting the calls that all the other guys in the league get like, no, dude, like, I'm sorry. No, not everyone's James Harden. Like LeBron is six eight two fifty. He gets fouled literally every time he goes to the rim because, but the refs never call it because he just plays through all the contact all the time. I mean, LeBron does complain to the rest, but it's more warranted for him because he actually does get fouled, and they just don't call it because they don't see that it affects him. Um, same with Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is so big and such a monster going to the rim that when people foul him, the rest don't call it because they don't really see, you know, they don't really see the effect of it. So, you know, so, I mean, yeah. John wants to not complain as much. And who knows, maybe Gortat will get trade, traded to the Magic just like he wants. Okay, so that kind of segues into uh, what we think the Wizards need to do in the offseason to really repair their roster. I Honestly, I'm not sure what they need to do. There's, they've kind of gotten all they can out of their roster, it seems like, but they're just getting worse and worse every season. I don't know if they just need to get a new coach or what. I mean, to me, it's like 
Um, it's kind of similar to the Portland situation we were talking about, where they're kind of stuck in the situation of they only really had two good players. Um, John Wall's a good defender, however, so you'd expect more from them. But I think John Wall needs to work on a three-point shooting stroke to make it more viable from everywhere on the floor. I feel like that'll really help their team because when, when your point guard can shoot threes and you don't have to worry about him only being able to slash, it's much more difficult to defend your team overall because I think that was one of the issues with Ricky Rubio for a long time is the fact that, well, he really wasn't a threat to score from anywhere on the court, so that really you know negatively affected him in Minnesota. But like you know now that he can... Quinn Snyder's really opened up his development and all that stuff to make it so that he can shoot and all that stuff a little bit now. So that just makes their team as a whole so much better. As I just feel like it's important for your point guard to have, like he needs to have some sort of viable shooting stroke because if all he's going to do is drive every time, then you know that all you have to do is stop him on a drive and you essentially get a stop on the possession. That's one of the reasons why OKC is a little bit shaky and always have been with Russell Westbrook at point guard. Um, so, I mean... John Wall needs to work on that. Bradley Beal needs to become more of a two-way player and add another element to his game that's not just shooting because um, that's really most of what he is. It's like if Bradley Beal is cold from outside, you can beat the Wizards. If he's hot, then you're going to have a harder time beating the Wizards, but you can still beat the Wizards. So they need a third piece. Maybe I'm not sure if anyone would want to go there really. Um, you know, Maybe Paul George, if they can convince him if he cares about the nation's capital at all, uh, if he likes John Wall, who knows. But... They just need another piece. They need something. They need they need something fresh. They're, I think their their team as a whole is kind of toxic. They they don't really seem to get along at all. Um, because you know there were even chemistry issues between John Wall and Bradley Beal um, for a long time before John Wall openly said I like Bradley Beal or something like that. So whatever it was, you know, get more seen out of there. Get one. Get Markeith out of there. Shake up your roster a little bit. Um, maybe go back two years and not pay Auto Porter that much money. So do you think it'd be what, worth firing Scotty Brooks? Maybe I mean you could you could try I mean at this point you, I mean there's there's really no point in having him it's not like he's accomplishing anything with them I think it's evident in my opinion at least that Scott Brooks was more carried by the fact that he had James Harden Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook on the same team back when he was coaching the Thunder rather than it is about him being a good coach because you see good coaches like Terry Stotts winning 49 games with minimal talent and Brad Stevens winning 55 games without having Kyrie for like 20 games and winning a playoff series against Giannis Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe with Al Horford is your best player. So, you know, I don't know. I don't think Scott Brooks is that good of a coach. So maybe you can uh, – their GM I don't think is that good too. I don't think the Wizards have made a relevant move in such a long time. No, and it doesn't seem like they're drafting that well either. Some of the recent picks like Kelly Oubre just haven't been very good, especially in the series. Like he, he was a pretty much a non-factor except I think there was one game where like he, he was impressive, but that was it. And like he's a kind, the kind of player you need more performance out of. And, like, if you're not getting performance out of the draft, you have to be better in free agency. They haven't been good in free agency. I mean, Markeith, apparently, he's been good, but, I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So, I I don't know what else the Wizards need to do. There's not much you can do when you're an eighth seed already, as we talk about sometimes. The treadmill is the worst place to be in the NBA. It'll get a little better next season when the probabilities go up for every team in the draft. But, I mean, yeah, there's not much you're able to do. So, yeah, I guess we'll give our goodbyes to the Wizards. You lost in six games. You probably should have gotten swept. You probably shouldn't have even been in the playoffs, if I'm going to be honest with you. If you didn't have a winning record, you'd probably be that team that I'm like, oh, why are you even in the playoffs? Screw you. The Nuggets should have made it in. But, yeah, yeah. you know, you're, you're just lucky that the Raptors are terrible in the playoffs and, you know, Lowry's not good and DeRozan can have an off night. So, yeah. Have your two games go wrapping your laurels. 
bring back Randy Whitman. Why not? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, good luck to you. All right. So now we have our uh, our, our sixth series that we're going to be talking about the Thunder Jazz series. This one's going to be interesting because I, I I think I'm going to actually take a couple of interesting opinions on this one. But uh, I'll let you go for your notes to start with. Okay. Uh... I have a lot to say about this series. Oh my god! Great. But for game one, um, Melo came off the bench for Spurs. He didn't start the game on the bench, but they were essentially bringing him off the bench. It was a good game throughout the first half for OKC. Playoff P. Paul George had a really good game: thirty-six points, eight of eleven. Westbrook played really well, but he didn't play efficiently. Extremely good playoff debut for Donovan Mitchell. I think he had twenty-seven points. Playoff P. New nickname for PG. That was just something that I noted because it was funny in the press. Uh, Stephen Adams and Carmelo Anthony had some pretty good contributions. Um, and that was that. That's probably about every single thing that I have good to say about um the, the OKC Food Playoff Series. For Game Two, I have Donovan Mitchell. He was fearless. He was shooting like a superstar in terms of his attempts. He was really putting the team on his back in terms of scoring. Don't think I've ever seen Paul George play good back to back. <laughs> I literally wrote this in my notes. I don't think I've ever seen Paul George play good back to back games since I've been watching the NBA. Russell, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, and Paul George all inefficient. Careless mistakes that cost them this game easily could have had a 2 lead going back to Utah. All indications that this one could go seven games. Ricky Rubio shot five threes, 22 points. Crazy contributions for him. That yeah, was he was awesome game. that game. Yeah, uh, 20, of six, 20 points and 16 rebounds from Derek Favors, 13 points and 15 rebounds from Rudy Gobert, and 28 from Donovan Mitchell. No one on the Thunder scored 20 points in Game 2. The highest was Russell Westbrook with 19. And then Game 3 happened. Donovan Mitchell was fantastic. Rudy Gobert was fantastic, changing shots at the rim. I believe, I'm not sure if that was the game or Game 4 was the, was it Game 3 was the game that I think Ricky Rubio had a had a 26-point uh, triple-double, which was, for me, that was a little bit upsetting because I got, I really, I really love Ricky Rubio. I wanted him to stay with the Timberwolves because I thought Jimmy, I thought he would be a better playmaker next to Jeff, uh, next to Jimmy Butler and all those guys. I really like it uh, instead of Jeff Teague. So I, I like Ricky Rubio a lot. The fact that he had a 26 point triple double and the fact that he's actually playing really well. And the fact that Quinn Snyder has made up a viable scoring option from outside. All that stuff is really exciting to me. I really like Ricky Rubio. Um, I like his long hair and his beard too. Hmm. So, um, he had a great game, 26-point triple-double, completely outplayed Russell Westbrook. Um, um, and then, so that happened, and they won that game. Ricky Rubio, I think, was the star of that game. Donovan Mitchell had a great game as well. Um, the one thing, and then game four, uh, that was a game where Russell Westbrook, being in typical Russell Westbrook fashion, shot 39 shots. Yep. He, um, he shot 39 shots, and they lost. <clears throat> Go figure. And then game five, or is that, no, that, that was the game, they lost that game. I think game game five he shot thirty nine shots and they won, but oh what, really? Anyways, whatever it was, he was still super inefficient. So I'll have to look um, at that. And then you know they 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 lost game four. Then you know they came back home and they won game five. Uh, yeah, yeah, this was the game where they shot thirty nine shots. I, I remember now. So game five, uh, the Thunder were down seventy one to forty six. The Utah was up seventy one to forty six, and then. With eight minutes and 30 seconds left in the third quarter, after that point, for the rest of the game, from eight minutes, 30 seconds left in the third quarter, so uh, basically for the last 8.30 and then plus 12, that's about 20 minutes and 30 seconds. So the last 20 minutes and 30 seconds of the game, Russell Westbrook or Paul George created every single point, either through scoring or assisting on every basket in the game for the last 20 and a half minutes. And together for the game, they attempted a combined 65 field goal attempts of the team's like 84. So that was ridiculous. Yeah, Russell, no Westbrook shot, Russell Westbrook shot 39 shots. He had 45 points. 
And then Paul George shot 26 shots, 12 of 26. I can't remember what he had. I think he maybe had like 26 or something like that. So that happened. And I was like, once, even though they won that game and had the 25-point comeback, I knew that they were going to lose in the sixth game because Russell Westbrook going like that just is it's just a sign that they're going to lose. <laughs> so then in game six, exactly as I expected, Russell Westbrook shot 43 shots. Whoa! <laughs> he took 43 shots. Um, he shot 19 threes. He only made six. The NBA record for attempts for threes in a game is 21 set by J.R. Smith, <laughs> but when J.R. Smith shot 21 threes, he made 12 of them, so it was actually worth it, or 11 of them, sorry, not 12, 11 of 21, that's above 50%, so that was okay when he shot 21, but Russell Westbrook shot 19, even though he's not a good three-point shooter, he had 44 points, or 46 points, I can't remember exactly, but uh, they they lost, and they lost in six, <sighs> and uh, yeah, now uh, now they're going to have to blow up the thunder in the offseason, that, that was that was really bad, that was that was awful, playoff, uh, playoff Paul George is not a real thing, he had one good game. Um, he went from shooting 8 of 11 from 3 in the first game and having 36 points to having 5 points in game 6 on 2 of 16 shooting with 6 turnovers while only having 5 points. So he had more turnovers than points. Um, so, yeah, Paul George, uh, that really that, this, this series really changed my perception of how good Paul George is. It uh, got me really down on Russell Westbrook, and it made me realize that Carmelo Anthony really is no good in the playoffs or the regular season anymore. Woo-hoo! And Steven Adams needs to get out of there because I like Steven Adams, and he deserves better than this. Yeah, so I don't know how I missed those stats on Russell Westbrook taking that many shots. That's actually ridiculous. Uh, 39, what's 30, 39 plus 43 is 82. How do you take 82 shots across two games? That is absurd. Yeah, and like you know it's bad when like you're almost taking more shots than you score in points. Like that, you should never be even close to that number. Yeah, like, and this, I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you this way, okay? okay? Russell Westbrook, he scored 46 points and he took 43 shots. Yeah. LeBron James scored 46 points and took 24 shots. Yep. You, you you score the same number of points and yet you shoot nearly 20 more shots. Like stop. There's no reason for you to shoot that many shots. You're not that you're not an efficient scorer. Like figure something else out. Get somebody else involved. Don't give up on Paul George. Let Paul George take some better attempts. Don't give it to Paul George when you can't get something going so he has to chuck an inefficient shot and then like, miss it, and then, you know, you're not giving Adams anything inside. Like, there should have been at least one game where Steven Adams went for, like, you know, like 20 and 15, like he used to be, like he does, like he's capable of. Like, you just have to give him the opportunity. you got to play him in the pick and roll. you got to give more opportunities to, like, you know, Raymond Felton to actually create something for the team. You need to play off the ball a little bit. you got to figure something out. Quinn Snyder coached the hell around Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan is not a good coach. No. He kept Westbrook, and I know that you mentioned this thing about, um, the foul thing, how you should keep them in, but the one the one exception to that, I, I agree with you, but I think the one exception to that is if there, you have like a minute left before the four, uh, half and you have three, then you should sit so that you don't pick up your yeah, four. Yeah, if there's like a minute left in the half, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the, what happened with Russell Westbrook. There was a minute and 36 seconds left in the half and Russell Westbrook picked up his third foul and Billy Donovan didn't sit him and then Westbrook picked up his fourth and then he had four. So, you know, like Billy Donovan, horrible coaching. Bill, Quinn Snyder is amazing, but... Um, Overall, the series is horrible for the Thunder. They're they're really they really showed Russell Westbrook. This is horrible for his legacy. Like it's just to me, it's just like, dude, like you should have lost the series in five games. It took you taking thirty nine shots and your teammate taking twenty six for a combined sixty five of your team's eighty four for you to make a twenty five point comeback and win by like six or seven or however much you won by. 
Um, it just shows that he's really not that smart of a player. He doesn't play winning basketball. He's just, I'm really down on Russell Westbrook now. Uh, I don't think, like now, he averaged a triple-double again, and it just showed that it, that really didn't matter, and that just kind of goes to show that it should have been between James Harden and LeBron for the 2017 MVP. Yeah, um, just like what you said. Yeah, or, or you know, Kawhi Leonard, too. But, but mm. whatever. Uh, he doesn't do enough for his team because, you know, Spurs and all, whatever. But, um, yeah, this series was horrible. But um, now I'm going to give praise to the Jazz because, um, uh, first of all, I'd like to address something for Jazz fans. Um, I love Donovan Mitchell's great. Okay, I understand Donovan Mitchell is great. I understand he's amazing. I understand you guys love him. I understand he's the best scorer on the team. Donovan Mitchell is not the Jazz's most important player. Rudy Gobert is. Rudy Gobert is the reason that they won as many games as they did. Rudy Gobert is the reason you're the fifth seed. Rudy Gobert is the reason that you made the playoffs. Rudy Gobert is the reason that you guys won this series. Rudy Gobert is the reason that you're probably going to get maybe a game or two off of the Rockets. Rudy Gobert completely took Russell Westbrook out of the series, and it's the reason that he played so inefficiently throughout the whole series. He alters every single shot at the rim, even if he's not blocking it. He's the best defender in the NBA currently because Kawhi Leonard's not playing, and He's, he's 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 phenomenal. He he his impact is so uh, underrated. He's such a good player. Uh, if you just look at the differentials of how many points uh, they allow when he's on and off the court, the Jazz are not a playoff team without him on the court. Their their record without him says that. And you know just the overall scoring and lack of like he just makes things happen on both sides of the ball. Even though he's not that skilled of an offensive player, he he makes excellent rim runs. You know he he gets open shots and he's a, he's a good passer out of the post. And, he makes the right pass and the smart pass and the right play and the smart play all the time. And he's one of the best screeners uh, in the NBA. Something. He's an amazing screen setter. He's the reason that they get so many good shots. He's the reason that Ricky Rubio is able to thrive. He's the reason that Donovan Mitchell is able to thrive. Um, you're not getting any of that without Rudy Gobert. He's the most important player. Um, so before, a lot of a lot of people love to give praise to Donovan Mitchell. Like, oh my God, he's a rookie. Oh my God, he's amazing. Oh my God, he's amazing. Yes, he's great. He's a good scorer. But you could replace Donovan Mitchell, and I'm not hating because I know he's a rookie, but you could replace Donovan Mitchell with any other 20-point scorer in the NBA and have had the same results because Quinn Snyder is such an amazing coach. Ricky Rubio averaged 18 points, 8 rebounds, and 8 assists throughout the series. He was great. Rudy Gobert averaged, I think, like 14, 10, and 2.5 and blocks. Like, um, Or maybe those are his regular season averages. But regardless, um, Derek Favors is good. Like, the Jazz are a good team, and I don't like the people are giving Donovan Mitchell all the praise in the world. But that being said, he did play phenomenally. He had 38 points in the closeout game, game six. He had 28. I think he averaged like 28 or 29 for the series, which is really, really good for a playoff debut. Um, he is their best scorer, and that's good. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to like you know put this on him like it's something bad because he's a rookie. Like obviously he's going to get better. He'll develop into a better defender, playmaker, and all that. Because I don't want anyone to get confused and think that I don't like Donovan Mitchell, but. Yeah. Don't overrate him because he's not a good defender yet, not a good playmaker, not a good rebounder, and his shot selection still isn't great. He's not that efficient. He's a good scorer, which is good for a rookie. Like he's really good. He, he's he's the best scoring rookie. That is true. Um, and he's an, he's a really talented scorer. But don't give him all that credit before he really develops. Um, so yeah, um, people need to just address and give. They need to give the Jazz as a team credit. They need to give Joe Ingles credit for hitting big shots. Russell, uh, I mean not Russell. Rick, oh, one moment, Ryan. I'm getting you, – you can just carry on with this about how the Jazz are important because you know them. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll mute your mic. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't understand why uh, – I, I don't get why they don't get more credit for the incredible – here, let me slow down because I just didn't expect that. I'll take a deep breath. I can't tell you guys how much I was smiling when he was praising Rudy Gobert. That, that just Sorry, Ryan, I'm back. Oh, dang, that was fast. I didn't even get to make a point. Oh, okay. go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, that I, I was smiling so much as you were uh, praising Rudy Gobert, and you are absolutely right. And 
as we said in the playoff preview, Donovan Mitchell, his closest comparison would be someone like Andrew Wiggins. Obviously, he's much better in defense, but you can attribute a lot of that to just team defense being fantastic in the in uh, Salt Lake City. It, it's not hard to be a great de defender, as we talk about with someone like Kevin Durant, when every other player on your team is an amazing defender. So you just have to cover either the worst player on the other team, or you don't have to actually do that much. So we don't really know that much about his defense. And on offense, he's pretty one-dimensional. Like he, He's good at scoring in the paint. He's good at scoring from the perimeter. He's a clutch player or whatever. But, you know, as you said, like if you put any other 20, point, uh, 20 points per game scorer in that team, they would be just as effective, and like they wouldn't lose anything. So that's that. that you know, just settled to have fun in the second-place position for uh, Rookie of the Year voting. This hasn't changed a thing, especially because Ben Simmons, the difference between them in these two series, Ben Simmons led his team past the Heat. Donovan Mitchell, he helped his team pass the Thunder. So like that, that kind of shuts the case on that one. Uh, some of the notes that I had, uh, it seemed like uh, Joe, uh, Joe Ingles was just wide open constantly in this series and that the Thunder were doing a horrible job guarding him, which I don't know how you do that. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the league. And you just keep, leave him wide open on the perimeter constantly. And that's with you know, supposedly Paul George, the best perimeter defender in the league, and you can't even guard the best three-point shooter in the league. You can even stay like within ten feet of the guy. It's ridiculous. He was going. Yeah, I remember there was a one game he hit three threes in a row, and then after his fourth, he stared Paul George right in the face and started talking trash to him. And I was like, "Yes, Joe Ingles. Yes, like yes, you definitely should be doing that. Paul George is not playing well." Yeah, and like I don't know why Russell Westbrook and Paul George weren't getting uh, players like Brinus and more involved, or Jeremy Grant, who, who was having an awesome series, involved more, or even Stephen Adams involved more. I mean, it's ridiculous. But yeah, on your point that Gobert, we said he was going to be the X factor in the series, and that if Russell Westbrook was going to be able to score in the paint in this series, they were going to win this series because that's how he gets a lot of his points. If they weren't, then Russell Westbrook was going to have to take a ton of the shots from the perimeter from three-point range, where he can't score, as was reinforced in the series. And that, uh, I mean, sure, he scored like 40 points a couple times, but if you're taking that many shots, you should be scoring like 80 points or something. So, like, yeah, that's not a point in their favor. And, yeah, like, I, I'm super excited to see them against the Rockets, because uh, obviously I didn't watch their games tonight. They're probably going to get trounced, to be honest, just because they don't need to score in the paint. Like, the Rockets can kill you with freeze, and... Yes, the Jazz do have a very good perimeter defense, but like at some point when you just have all the three-point shooters in the league coming off the Rockets bench, like there's only so much you can do. Yeah, uh, they they the Houston won by 14. Harden had 41. Chris yeah. Paul had 17. Capella had 16. Tucker had 15. So yeah, and our, and my other fa factor for this series uh, for the Thunder versus Jazz was uh, Ricky Rubio. He was awesome, and like it, he, he played so well. I was so happy to see that. Yeah, and like. It's a legit scoring threat now. He averaged 17 points in the series. Yeah, and like that stat that I gave uh, during our preview where the Jazz. This might be a bit over, of an overstatement, but I think this is what it was. Like they went. And if every time Ricky Rubio scored nine or more points in a game, the Jazz won, it might have been like just some really high winning percentage, but either way, the point holds. He's, yeah. He averaged 18 in the series. Uh, that's fantastic, and that just shows that Quinn Snyder made, either made a priority of getting him involved. Or heck, maybe uh, Ricky Rubio just took some initiative and he got himself involved in the series. It was awesome on defense the entire time. He, he didn't really slow Ru Russell Westbrook down, but I mean, even if you're just making him take inefficient, inefficient shots, that's good enough. 
And yeah, like, typical to slow Westbrook down, but he did he did a he did a great job, and he he thoroughly outplayed him because uh, I don't know if you saw the comment after the game, but um, Russell Westbrook after Game Three, after Ricky Rubio or Game Four, I'm not sure which game, but after he said, I know it was Game Three. After Game Three, when Ricky oh, I know Rubio what you're talking about. Yeah, he said I'm gonna shut that shit down and all that. Now, <laughs> he just didn't. And then the next game, he got Russ Westbrook into foul trouble, so they they lost. And then they took a three-one lead. And by that point, I think everyone knew the series was over because I don't think anyone on the Thunder is capable of closing a three-one hole. Um, and now Russell Westbrook has been down three-one twice in series and lost, which is unfortunate. Yeah, and, and like just to address your uh, point on like the foul trouble thing. Like, the main thing I'm talking about is, like, where a coach will take someone out who gets, like, four fouls when there's, like, eight minutes left in the third quarter. Or, like, gets, oh, their, yeah, yeah, gets yeah. their third foul when there's, like, eight minutes left in the second quarter. Like, there's a lot of the game left to be played here. But, yeah, if there's, like, a minute left, you, okay, you lose, like, one minute in the game. That's all. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's understandable. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that... But, I mean, just overall for this Thunder series, I mean, it's, like... um yeah, Rudy Gobert showed me a lot. He's he's very very good. He's and one of the most underrated players in the league. He he should definitely be the defensive player of the year this year. Um, Joe Ingles surprised me. He, his ugly jump shot works. He makes a lot, and he's wet. Like he, every single time, he, he's wide open. It's it's gonna go in. Uh, it either rattles in or it's you know splash. So um, that was nice. Then Ricky Rubio, like we we covered Donovan Mitchell, Derek Favors. Um, yeah, Derek Favors. I, we forgot to mention him. He was yeah. awesome from the power forward position, and he was honestly my surprise player for the series. Yeah, he, he was mine as well, actually, because I expected I expected um, Gobert to be good, and I expected Mitchell to be good. Um, Ricky Rubio and Derek Favors, but because I guess we're more familiar with Ricky Rubio, um, yeah, Derek Favors kind of came out of nowhere because he's kind of been lingering around, like you know, the, and he's been lingering around Utah for so many years, um, but he actually played really well, so. Um, that was a good sign. Um, I think if Derek Favors develops a three-point shot, he'll, he'll be a legit threat in this league. Because, um, I mean, he had some good games, 20 points, 16 rebounds. is a good inside scorer and good rebounder and good defender. So, um, yeah, but I, I honestly, uh, above all else, I, I really think Quinn Snyder deserves the credit because, like, he just, he out he, he was coaching circles around Billy Donovan. Like, he had all his rotations right. His defensive schemes were so good. The plays he was running, just simple, getting the ball to Mitchell, having Gobert come up and set good screens. Such good play calling. And just, I mean, oh my God, the execute, like the game plan was perfect and the execution was uh, flawless as well. It was, it was really brilliant. Um, like, it, really, if you think about it, like, if you just look at what the Thunder needed to win this series, like, they needed Russell Westbrook to shoot 39 shots and, or what the Thunder needed to win the two games that they did, playoff. Paul George needed 36 points, and I think what maybe Westbrook had a triple double. I can't remember exactly, but I'm you sure needed that to win. You needed that to win the first game, and then you needed um, Russell Westbrook to shoot 39 shots and have 44 points, uh, 45 points to win the second game. So that's a good sign for Utah's future. Um, if they can keep that core together of Rubio, Mitchell, Quinn Snyder, and uh, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, they're honestly, I really, what the only thing I would touch, the, the only thing, honestly, the only thing I would do to Utah, because you, in my opinion, you have two stars. You have Rudy Gobert and you have Donovan Mitchell. Then you have good role players, good shooter in Joe Ingles. You have a good defense. And you have Ricky Rubio. I would really just, I would just focus on improving their bench. Like just get some, get them some good bench pieces so that they can stay in games with teams when the starters need rest. Because I don't, I'm not, I mean, I don't think Utah's bench is all that. Um, yeah, and I was actually, I was actually just about to ask how their bench was in the series because I, I well, you got Jay Crowder is on their team. 
Yeah. So he was making the freeze. He had, he had 21 points tonight, um, but you know, that's, that's kind of unusual for him. He doesn't always get hot, but Jay Crowder can play some good defense. So, you know, the fact that he's on the team is pretty good, but you need more on the, uh, on the bench because right now their bench is like Raul Nato, Alec Burks, David Stockton, who's John Stockton's son, yeah. but it's Dante Exum. Dante Exum. Yeah. Who's really just, I don't, I think Dante Exum is a bust. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> he's got a long wingspan though. Maybe he can be a good defender. So, um, you know, it, honestly, uh, uh, when uh, maybe they should have kept Derrick Rose. Maybe that could have. Maybe Quinn Snyder could have really done something with Derrick Rose as the backup point guard on their team. So, what did, um, what did he have? Uh, what did they have Derrick Rose? Oh, so when he was when he was he went uh, when uh, the trade to get Rodney Hood was Derrick Rose and Jay Crowder to Utah, but Utah oh, waived. Okay, gotcha. Utah waived him, and then he was picked up by Minnesota. So you know, maybe maybe Quinn Snyder should have. Uh, oh, the GM waived him, obviously, but. You know, I guess Quinn Snyder probably not known too much about how Derrick Rose could actually be pretty good. So, yeah, that, that could have been cool. You know, who knows? Maybe Derrick Rose could go there. So, Yeah, that, that would what? be great to see. And who knows? Maybe we can get Quinn Snyder a coach of the year next year if they repeat the same performance because, you know, yeah. nobody yeah, they, likes they, to give they them. They should two. win 50 games next year. Yeah. They, they would, I think. That'd be great because, remember, Gobert missed like 40 games in the season, so they're, they only have higher potential. So that's going to be great to see. Okay. Well, I, I guess we have to get into uh, what we've – been dreading the, this entire discussion on the Thunder uh, Jazz, what the Thunder need to do heading into the offseason. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I completely forgot about my rant against Carmelo Anthony. Okay. So I, I'll, I'll give myself 30 seconds. Okay, Carmelo, you dropped the ball like constantly. You, you couldn't even hold the ball, much less shoot the ball. You had like one good game. You had like a good stretch in game one for a while, and then that was it. You couldn't make freeze for the rest of the series. You were doing iso ball. You can't do iso ball. You can't anymore. You know, like you barely dribble, as I said. Like you can't play defense. Still, he was a complete defensive liability. You're taking up a spot for Jeremy Grant. You you need to get off this team. The only big free that you make is the, I don't know, the bench mob. Or, I don't know, put it just put him somewhere else. This is not a. He's not right on this team. And like it, it this is nothing he can do. It seems like they were trying to make him like a catch and shoot guy. But he, first of all, he doesn't want to be a catch and shoot guy. And like he. So I just don't know what he thinks he can do anymore. He can't play iso ball. He can't play catch and catch and shoot. He can't play defense. He can't play in the playoffs. So, I mean, I don't know what to do with him. Like, nobody's going to accept a trade for him. And, like, he's on, like, a four-year deal this year. So I don't know what the Thunder are going to do. Yeah, 28 million is getting paid. Oh, God, it's like the Knicks situation all over again. Well, here's the thing uh, that I'll say about the Thunder's offseason. Um, well... Paul George is gone. <laughs> yep. Uh, there's no reason he should stay. Um, he's, he, he openly said that his relationship with Russell Westbrook had some ups and downs. Um, and uh, so Paul George should leave. That's, that should happen. Um, and here's the thing. I don't think that Russell Westbrook is capable of playing um, with another star. I just don't think he is. I don't think that he shares the ball enough. Uh, even though he gets his assists, he doesn't play winning basketball. He just... He chucks shots when the game is on the line, and he forces bad shots in the clutch, and he just doesn't trust the teammates and all that stuff. So here's here's what I propose. I propose that the Thunder, maybe another, you know, they're another team that can maybe make a push for DeMarcus Cousins. Cousins. Then you just roll with Russell Westbrook and DeMarcus Cousins because they both play with, you know, angry, fearless attitudes and are just kind of annoying and they're not, not annoying, but they're, they're just mean and rude kind of. And then you just surround those two with a, with three, three and D players, um, you know, um, or maybe just two, and then you get Robertson back because Robertson's a really good defender and all that. But he's kind of a li- 
liability offensively. You just kind of surround them with three with three guys and D guys, and you roll with that because that's their ceiling. Russell Westbrook is not a championship caliber player. He's not going to win a championship as the best player on the team. It's just not going to happen. So uh, the way to maximize the ceiling for them is, you know, maybe they can get a couple of trips to maybe the conference finals, maybe this, you know, but more likely the second round. Um, that's kind of the ceiling with Russell Westbrook. That's kind of the limitation to the player that he is. Because um, you know the fact that he can't shoot from the outside, and at this point doesn't look like he'll ever develop an outside jump shot, kind of just makes it seem like he doesn't care. So he's just gonna do whatever he does, and he's gonna shoot shots, and he's gonna think that that's the way you have to do it. I just have to shoot a bunch of shots because then everyone will say that I'm trying hard, and that I'm doing my best, and that I'm oh, uh, then everyone will still admire me because I'm working so hard, and they know that I have to try and put the team on me. All that shit. But Russell Westbrook, um, I don't know. They just they need to build something around him where. Um, they just need to build something around him where he doesn't have to share the ball with other players because the fact that, you know, splitting with Paul George and Carmelo Anthony completely, you know, um, took out who they are as players. Um, and as for, as for Carmelo Anthony, I, I don't care. He needs to accept a bench role and he just needs to become a spot up shooter. Um, he can shoot the ball. Like, I know he can make threes, you know, maybe around somewhere like a 36, 37% clip. And he just needs, that's just what he needs to do. That's his role in the NBA now. He doesn't have another talent. He can't do anything else. That's all he's going to be good for. He can't play defense. He can't play ISO. He can't. He can barely dunk. Um, like, I, I don't know what is. He's no. He's just not what he used to be at all. Um, and you know, I mean, I guess it's really not a slight on him because you know, not everybody can be LeBron James and still be good in their 15th season. Because you look at the 2003 draft class, and literally the two best players from that draft class are LeBron James and Kyle Korver. And Kyle Korver because he has a timeless game, and LeBron James because he's a freak of nature. Because Dwayne Wade is basically, you know, he's on his last leg. Carmelo Anthony is really, really, he doesn't even have any legs anymore. <laughs> Kendrick Perkins a, a suit on the bench. Um, and then uh, what, what else? Uh, Kirk Heinrich, I don't even know where he is. And then Chris Bosh is done playing. So, you know, um, Carmelo Anthony just needs to kind of accept the fact that, you know, he's, he just needs to work on his three point shot and maybe see if he can become like somewhere like a high 30s, low 40s three point, three point shooter. And that's just what he's going to be. Because that's the only way that he's going to continue to be relevant in the NBA. Or honestly, what he could do is he could just sit and he could just be trash for as long as he wants, and he'll just keep getting paid. Because I think we all found out in 2014 that it's pretty clear that Carmelo Anthony cares more about money than uh, winning a championship. Because you know the fact that he didn't sign with the Bulls when they had Defensive Player of the Year, Joakim Noah, Derrick Rose is coming back from injury, and Jimmy Butler had just broken out um, as being a pretty good player. So. Uh, the Bulls would have been a serious championship contender in 2014 under Tom Thibodeau because of their defensive stuff and all that. And they could have used Carmelo Anthony scoring at the time. So, um, yeah. that. Uh, oh, and they had Pau Gasol at the time. Don't want to forget that. He was, he was good then. Yeah. I, I, I actually never uh, even knew about that. I, I didn't realize he was even in the conversation for that team. So yeah, he was. Yeah, 2014, Carmelo Anthony was, uh, had, you know, he had some meetings with the Bulls. Oh, huh. okay. So, yeah, that, that all happened. Um, that, that could have been a good team. Derrick Rose... Uh, Jimmy Butler, Carmelo Anthony, Pau Gasol, and Joakim Noah. Um, so yeah, um, I mean, yeah, the Thunder just need to—they need to blow it up and figure it out, and just try and continue building around Russ because he's all they got. He signed like a five-year deal now. They stupidly signed with that extension. So well, I think I think he deserved it, but like the the problem is like Sam Presti right now. Like he 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 he's, he's got to be like the biggest egotist in the NBA. He's, just like, oh, look at me, I got my big free, and like he goes on all these pre- press conferences, and he's like, oh, we're the new uh, Miami Heat, or whatever, and like they just bigging up uh, Carmelo Anthony and be like, oh, we won the offseason. Like, yeah, all I mean, the- he, Sam Presti is a little bit of an egotist. I mean, I, I appreciate how hard Russell Westbrook plays, but he just plays dumb, too, and I, I think people give him a little bit too much praise. Like, at some point, like, he's a, he's a veteran now. Like, he's played 10 years in the league. Like, 
you have to become a smarter player at some point. I just don't think Russell Westbrook is ever going to take that stride. For that reason, I don't think he's ever going to be an NBA champion. Uh, or, you know, he could be at the end of his career if he just accepts the bench role somewhere and just comes off the bench kind of like a Gary Payton kind of thing. Good luck with but that. He'll never win an NBA championship in his prime. It's just it's not going to happen. And I'm sorry for anybody who thinks it will happen. The only chance he ever had was because Kevin Durant is such a generational talent that he can overcome the fact that he's such a poor team player. Um, so unless you get someone like that, like, you know, unless you get like maybe like a like an Anthony Davis where you just have too much talent to overcome and you know that 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 maybe could work but for what it is right now you know, it's never gonna happen so yeah and, so yeah I, I'm not a fan of uh, Russell Westbrook we obviously talked about uh, and talked about it a lot last year on why James Harden and like we were basically the only people that I heard at all saying that James Harden should have won the MVP over Russell Westbrook I'm going to make a really strong case in that uh, Pacers-Cavaliers uh, series for why there's even more evidence now that uh, Russell Westbrook shouldn't have won the MVP last season. But uh, I, will, I, will, I will help you out with that because I completely agree. Yeah, because I think we're going to make a similar case that like there was nobody on either teams. And one of those teams won the first-round series against pretty similar teams. So like that's... Obviously, a huge point in LeBron's favor, but you know, like you can endlessly make uh, points in LeBron's favor, and nobody's ever going to care. But yeah, the Thunder are kind of screwed heading into the off season. Would you would you say that the Pelicans or them are in a worse position right now? Oh, I think the Thunder definitely because the Thunder. I mean, like the thing with the Pelicans is they they can find a desperate team to take boogie. Like you know, the Suns are always taking. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, not the Pelicans. My bad. I meant the Trailblazers. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I still say the Thunder because, I mean, Russell Westbrook is more of a long-term problem. <laughs> you know? So uh, I just just for that reason, I think. Because you, and also, I mean, you can kind of take your pick. Like, I'm not sure who's making money between Evan Turner and Carmelo Anthony, but they're both pretty bad. Um, but, you know, the, the, the plus side is that Portland has two good players going into next year, whereas oh, good point. OKC has one good but dumb player going into next season. Like, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are not good defenders, but they're still smart players. Like, they're not stupid. They don't take 43 shots in a closeout game. So, yeah. I mean, like, even Kobe didn't do that kind of stuff. Kobe, Kobe's career high in field goal attempts came in his last game when he scored 60. He shot 50, 50 shots. Yeah. 22 for 50. But that was a Kobe thing to do anyway. So, yeah, even Kobe, I, I think, I don't know what Kobe's career high in field goal attempts is, but I doubt he had that many instances where he shot 40-something. If he did, then probably only like two or three. But West, I mean, 39 and 43 in back-to-back games, that's absurd. Yeah, so uh, I guess we'll do our outro for the Thunder. Well, you guys are screwed heading into the offseason. You uh, took two games against the Jazz. Good for you. You knocked down all the three-pointers in those two games. And as you can see, that works for any team. So, but bravo. You're completely screwed on that Carmelo Anthony thing, but that's what you get, Sam Presti, for coming on all the press uh, talk shows and Whatever, uh, saying, ooh, look at us, we won the offseason, we're going to be the next big free. How, how are you liking that position right now, being out of the first round against a supposedly overrated Jazz team with a rookie of the year and whatever, uh, amazing center? That's not going too well for you. You're going to lose Paul George. Probably going to lose Steven Adams at some point. He's going to get fed up eventually. You're going to start having, you're probably going to shred your bench, honestly, because they don't value their bench. And yeah, I mean, they're not in a good position right now. And I, I think anyone in, anyone with half a mind and anyone who's been paying attention to the NBA this season would say they even lost that uh, Pacers trade. Like, oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Like, they, they got absolutely fleeced on that. And like, even if you want to say that, like, we didn't know what to expect from Oladipo and uh, Sabonis and whatnot, 
I think you would still have to say that, even if you just knew what uh, Paul George did this season, just because he didn't help that much, ultimately. Like, people thought he was going to be the next Durant. He didn't do that. He They upped one game from last season. That's pathetic. Yeah, exactly. It's bad. 47 last year and 48 this year. Yeah, especially considering how much effort they put into the offseason. I mean, sure, they they faced it. Well, no, they faced basically in a team of equal strength in the Rockets last year versus the Jazz this year. So, yeah, uh, nice job, Thunder. Have, have fun in the offseason, and you know what? We'll see you next year, I guess. Maybe go back to Seattle. That <laughs> yeah. All right. So that wraps up all of our uh, six-game sets. So I guess we'll get into the longest running ones and the most interesting ones, probably. The two uh, Game 7 sets, those being the Celtics Bucks and the Cavs Pacers. And before you even suggest it, we're doing the Cavs Pacers one last. Because yeah. what other position could we put LeBron in? So we got the Cavs, not the Cavs, the Celtics uh, Bucks series. So I think this unfortunately went exactly how we predicted it, which sucks. The Bucks underperformed in the playoffs just like they always do and it's horrible they didn't live up their, to their talent Giannis had a couple bad games unfortunately the defense did not fix itself like it, it did a couple of times but not really and this was the standard example of your home home series like they just it went back and forth the entire time Celtics won the last game obviously and yeah this was really disappointing for the Bucks. this was their opportunity to make it to the second round and there's you can't say anything else, but they blew it. Like the yes, the Celtics, they had, there were some Celtics that had good games. Tatum was awesome. Jalen Brown was fantastic. Marcus Smart was awesome. Al Horford was a was a beast. Like just like I was hoping he would be. But yeah, the Bucks weren't giving enough, and the only games that they were were when they had home court. And you have to win a game on the road to win a playoff game if you're the underdog and a playoff series. But they couldn't do that, and it's a real shame. Yeah, I completely agree. I owe, I owe Al Horford a big apology. I was trashing on him in the regular season for only averaging 13 points and like seven rebounds and being an all-star, but um, he showed me that he's, he, he has a good enough IQ and enough playoff experience, and he's a really smart, calm, composed player. Um, and he, he really is He's a great team leader. He, he, he really led this team, even though he wasn't the one scoring all the points and getting all the rebounds and stuff. You could really see him kind of like he was, he was basically running the offense. Like yeah. He, I mean, he was in the post and he was passing out of it and he was dribbling kind of in the mid-range area and finding open shooters and he was he was figuring everything out. He was You could see him talking and, you know, telling everyone where to be and pointing his fingers and, like... And he was scoring, he, too, which is big Yeah, he was scoring really well. And, uh, you know, so just some notes that I have for the series. Uh, the fantastic games throughout the series. The Bucks game planning was super shaky. Al Horford lived at the line. And then in game one, you had the whole... I'm not sure if you saw it, but Brogdon, uh, Malcolm Brogdon hit a clutch three to tie the game with 10 seconds left. Then yeah. Terry Rozier completely broke uh, Eric Bledsoe's ankles and hit a three with half a second left, which people thought was the game winner until Giannis inbounded to Chris Middleton, who hit a 35-foot desperation three that barely went in uh, in terms of time. It was just in before the buzzer. Um, sorry, he barely got it off before the buzzer. Uh, the Celtics pulled away with three throws in overtime in game one. Then in game two, it was a pretty good first half, uh, but the Bucks were losing pretty early. They were trailing 9-9 at halftime. Horford and Brown were leading the way. And uh, it was kind of in game two where I noticed that Giannis' style of play I don't think is all too effective in the playoffs because when it becomes more about your ability to shoot from outside and they kind of pack the paint a little bit more and it becomes harder and teams play better team defense to avoid easy baskets at the rim, I think it becomes much more difficult for Giannis to be effective because he really is only effective around the rim. Yeah, uh, he's, not, he's really not too effective in playoffs for long stretches. So 
Um, I get a lot of people love Giannis for the future, but Bucks fans, you better hope that he develops some sort of outside shooting stroke because if he doesn't, he's really not going to be that effective. He's kind of going to be similar to Russell Westbrook without taking all the attempts. Um, he had some bad games. He was kind of taken out of the game by Horford and Brown and Tatum. They, they did a great job on him. The Celtics game plan for him perfectly. Uh, Joseph Joe Prunty is not a good coach. No, he <laughs> horrible, isn't. Horrible, horrible defensive schemes. Yeah, and like, and like we talked about this on the point. team. Sorry. You're such a long team. You need to be better defensively. Thon Maker, Giannis, Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton. There's no reason you should be that bad on defense. Um, so that was disappointing. Then I can't remember if it was game three or game four where Giannis hit the tip in game winner with where he like grabbed the ball basically right as it was coming off the backboard and just laid it in to win that game. So I liked how every game came down to the wire in this one. There weren't any blowouts. It was pretty cool. It was a good seven-game series. Every team won the home game, which is a little surprising. I haven't watched a playoff series where that happened. I don't think ever, actually, where every team won their home game. Because um, usually, even in seven-game series, you have some road wins. So, um, yeah, uh, it was a good series. I really liked the fact that it went seven. Um, it made me respect the hell out of Brad Stevens. He's amazing. He terror like, and this is, uh, again, I'm... <laughs> I know we talked earlier about, like, you know, a couple podcasts ago, how Kyrie Irving's value really isn't all that high, and yeah. he's very easily replaceable. And this this series showed me that that's completely true. Like Terry Rozier is literally playing just as good as Kyrie Irving would have. Um, maybe not in terms of how many points he scored, it's just because of inability. You know, he can't dribble the ball and finish in the same way. But in terms of running the offense through a perimeter score, and like it, it's literally the same thing. Like you just put Terry Rozier in, and he has similar aspects. He's a ball handler who can shoot a three. Like. That's literally all it is. Um, and, you know, you saw that with Isaiah Thomas. He was a ball handler who could shoot the three. Kyrie Irving, ball handler who can shoot the three. And Terry Rozier, ball handler who can shoot the three. And you literally just see the same success. Um, so Jalen Brown really stepped up in this series. I like him a lot. He started. He came into the league as a rookie. as a really good perimeter defender, and he's added an offensive game to that. Jason Tatum is a really good two-way player as well. And that's the thing that I think the Celtics are – That's what this is what's going to benefit them the most is that their two young stars are both um, – they're, they're, they're two-way players. Like, you know, Kyle Kuzma, for example, on uh, on the Lakers, he's a really good one-way player, but he's horrible on defense. But Jason Tatum is one of the – I think the Celtics have top – they have – a lot of this is credit to Brad Stevens, but regardless, it's still a good stat. They're starting five. All five of them are in the, you know, Kyrie Irving, uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, and I think Marcus Smart. All five of those players in the regular season were top 12 in defensive win shares, all five of them. Um, wow! So that's that's amazing. Uh, that, that just shows how good Brad Stevens is as a defensive coach, um, and you know the effort from Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown and Al Horford. Because we all know Kyrie Irving doesn't play defense, but even he played a little bit better this year. So, um, I mean, it was a it was a great series. It's a great coaching series from Brad Stevens. You really, I mean, the fact that you know the Bucks were clearly the more talented team. I mean, you have the rookie of the year, Malcolm Brogdon. You have an amazing two-way Clay Thompson-like player and Chris Middleton, who's versatile. Um, you have and an unbelievable young, bench. Yeah, you have an unbelievably good bench. You've got Eric Bledsoe. He was just taken out of the series by his little rivalry with Terry Rozier, saying that he didn't know who he was and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he lost his composure, and they came back to bite him. Um, Terry Rozier outplayed him. and I mean, the Celtics really just thoroughly, like, they were patient with everything, and they took their time. Al Horford led the way with his veteran experience and his leadership, and I guess all those years of losing to LeBron in Atlanta really helped him out. So, yeah, no kidding. He was the real playoff veteran in this series, and yeah, I, I want to give you mad credit for the fact that you basically said Brad Stevens was going to be the difference in this series, and he definitely was. He was awesome at developing uh, the schematics. He picked apart the Bucks' defense the entire time. 
And yeah, this was something we mentioned in the playoff preview, was that everyone was like, oh, the Bucks are going to be great in the playoffs, but they didn't improve their defense at all after they coached after they, after they got rid of Jason Kidd. And I feel bad being down on Joe Pronti because he was an awesome assistant for the Spurs. And, you know, you think anyone coming off of the Spurs is going to be good. But he wasn't good. And, like, it sucked. Like, I, I also, I didn't know what he looked like before watching that game once. So that, that was also fun to see. He looked like a mad scientist. So, he does, yeah. So that, that was a lot of fun to see. But I almost wonder if they should bring in someone like Mark Jackson, who, if they can even get him. It's, as I mentioned earlier, it seems like the Knicks are going to get him. Because Mark Jackson, what he does well is defense, and like he's a big factor in why the Warriors have the defense that that they uh, do today. But yeah, they're probably not going to get him ultimately. So that sucks. They're probably going to get someone crappy instead. Sorry, uh, but yeah, like the Bucks have been such a disappointment. Not only this season, but just in the playoffs the past few years. That in that Bulls series two years ago, they had a good chance to win that. They didn't win it, and like it wasn't a good a good Bulls teammate or so. Like, what are you doing, Bucks? The Raptors series last year, they definitely should have won that. Like the Raptors were falling apart completely, and like Lowry was having standard uh, bad playoffs, and DeRozan wasn't doing too well. And then they didn't win it for whatever reason. And this year, I mean, yeah, Giannis wasn't good enough, and. It, Everyone around him. I mean, Middleton was good. Uh, don't get me wrong, but Eric Bledsoe, he fell apart. That trade looked, looks horrible at this point. But, I mean, I guess you just gotta expect better from him next season. And, yeah, I, I'm super happy to see that Al Horford lift up to what I was hoping he would do. He's one of the best passing big men in the league. He doesn't get enough credit for that. He's it, it, Everyone was always, like, at the All-Star break, obviously. Oh, well, Horford. But, you know, it's fun to get bet down on those people, and he didn't particularly have the best... Uh, First season, yeah, in uh, Boston. I mean, I I was pretty much the only person who was talking about him just because I did those uh, articles for College Comp on him the, the all through the first semester, so I actually knew about him. But you know, he's kind of under the radar, and it, it, when you don't have a either a big man that's blocking all the shots or scoring all the points, it's hard to pay attention to someone like that. But I'm I'm super curious to see what the Celtics are going to look like next year because they are going to have a ton of forwards on that team. Like if you just go down the list, you got Jalen Brown, you got Jason Tatum, you got Gordon Hayward, you got Marcus Morris, you got someone else that I'm missing, and like that that's five right there. Like you can't have all those players on the court at once, even if you run a small ball lineup. So like either they're going to have a really good bench, or I don't know what, but. Something that I uh, tried to queue up just so I could uh, mention it, uh, Shane Larkin, uh, someone that I was concerned about during this ser series, because as they mentioned on the lab a lot, it it's not the replacement that's going to be the problem in game in games, it's the replacement's replacement, and being the third string point guard, obviously, and Brad Stevens was smart enough to play him an average of 18 minutes in this series. So that's fantastic, and uh, just uh, of note, uh, in the games that uh, Boston uh, lost, uh, Shane Larkin averaged a plus-minus of negative uh, 12, and in the games that it won, uh, he averaged a plus-minus of uh, plus 8. So, yeah, it, that, it was super important to not let the team fall apart whenever you needed to give Terry Rozier a break, who was awesome in this series. And also, I mean, just Boston, it, it played well. And, like, that's really important because you don't want to be losing the first round if you're a celebrated franchise like the Celtics. And, yeah, I'm really curious to see how they're going to do it against the 76ers because I think it's almost going to be the exact same story aside from the fact that, obviously, it's better defense and the 76ers don't exactly have a habit of choking in playoff games. But it, it, it is a great point, though. Like, this was a close series for out, which is really nice, especially in comparison to the series that we're going to talk about next, 
Like the fact that the biggest blowout was only 24 points, and then aside from that, everything else was within 15. That's really cool. And, oh, wait, I'm just seeing that the last game was 16. Ah, well, for, forget about that game. That didn't happen. But, yeah, like, the, the, the Bucks, they at least they didn't embarrass themselves, but you could say it's embarrassing enough that they couldn't finally make something of their team. So. Yeah, that is true. So yeah, that's basically how I felt about this series. I, it's kind of sad because I don't see how the Bucks can uh, get through the first round if they couldn't do it this year. But who knows? Maybe they can finally make that second make that push. Because I still think they look a lot like the Warriors before the Warriors got good. But I mean, they're not going to become a three point shooting t fanatic or like they're just they're not going to be the Warriors. They're going to keep being this underperforming team. Unfortunately, that's gonna suck for uh, people that actually like the pucks like me, and I mean, that, it, it's just kind of sad, honestly. So, and like, I don't know what they can do in the off season aside from bringing in a better coach, because they have as good of a team as you're gonna get with the cap room that they have. So, like, do you, do you have anything that they should look to do in the off season? Um, I really just feel like the most important thing is, I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's Giannis's development, really. I mean. If he becomes a three-point shooter, then you just have a completely different offense because he's a threat from more places. And just, I mean, he's, I mean, he's he's their key. And if, the better that he is, the better the team's going to be ultimately. Um, and I feel like you know the thing for him is he's kind of similar to LeBron in the early years without the winning, is that he's kind of just relegated to not really being an outside shooter and just he's not the playmaker LeBron was, but he you know in the sense of being unstoppable going to the basket. You kind of saw LeBron actually achieving more playoff success in general when he became a viable three-point shooter. Um, so I think that's the most important thing for the Bucks to do uh, in terms of their players. And in terms of a coach, yeah, they, they, I'm not sure who they can find to bring in, but they need to do something because Joe Prunty is clearly not a solution. I'm not sure Mark Jackson really would be the best thing because when you have such talent offensively, like if you have a person like Giannis, you don't really need that much help to coach offensively because you can kind of just say, you can just run simple plays for open threes and just have your player go to the basket and then, you know, uh, kick it out and stuff like that. So, I mean, Giannis is only 23, so I don't want to hammer in too bad, but, you know, he really kind of disappointed me this series. And th this is kind of the opportunity for him to really break out and, and win a playoff series. So, um, but that was disappointing, but it, it's okay. I mean, he's still young, so uh, I don't think that they're going to, I don't think they should change their roster really because like, like you said, I mean, especially with the East kind of deteriorating and, LeBron probably being out of there, the, the East is going to be, you know, maybe wide open next year. Uh, may I, I don't know about that, but they can be the third best team in the East uh, you yeah. know, after, after like Boston and Philly. Because, um, I mean, they have the most talent. Like Chris Middleton is like 25 and 5. He's a really good player. Eric Bledsoe, a really good defensive point guard and, you know, playmaker. And, you know, he's one of the only players in the past couple of years to record a 4 by 4 uh, And he's done it like three times, I think. So he's a versatile player. You know, you got Thon Maker who can develop in the super long and, I mean, they just, they're, they're really good. Like, so, uh, they, they really just need better game planning and better execution and just more composure, I guess, which, you know, that, that's all systemic stuff that you can, that, that changes as a result of your, um, your coach. So I don't know who they can bring in, but whoever it is, they need to be someone that's focused and, uh, you know, someone who knows how to coach a defense properly and all that stuff. Um, you know, so maybe someone, someone proven, I don't think that you can take a chance with someone who's, it's like a rookie coaching job or something. Um, you know, maybe Dave Fisdale, he, he did a good job with Memphis last oh, yeah, year. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, hmm. He could be good because, you know, he, he, oh, he's a, 
a, a lot of players really like him. Like LeBron has spoken really highly of him. The only player who's never who doesn't like him, I, I think, is Marcus Gasol. But that's really just because Marcus Gasol isn't as good as it used to be, and he was kind of blaming it on coaching, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. you know, Dave Fisdo would be good. Maybe Mark Jackson, whatever they can figure out. Um, it was a sad series to see the Bucks go, but overall, like, it was fun to watch. And I, I think that people kind of slept on the Celtics after Kyrie wasn't there. Because, um, you know, I mean, I don't know why people keep over talking about Hayward because, like, Hayward's not really relevant now because he didn't play the entire season. So, like, I, I don't know why people are saying, we didn't have Hayward, but, like, you didn't have Hayward all year and that didn't matter. Yeah. So, um, you won 55 games anyway. So, I mean, uh, Kyrie not being there really doesn't matter because Rozier is basically just Kyrie now, with, you know, a little bit less. So, um, I don't really think Celtics, the Celtics are something to scoff at. I think that they can legit give the 76ers a, a run for their money. I don't think that you can just breeze over it because, it, I mean, I, I, people say that we the Celtics are, like, yes, they do have less talent than the Bucks, but, I mean, they're not, it's not like they don't have talent. Jalen yeah. Brown is a really good rookie, or a really good second-year player. Jason Tatum is an amazing rookie. He's probably going to finish third or fourth in rookie of the year voting, depending on how you rank Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, and Kyle Kuzma. Um, he's definitely going to be all rookie first team. He shot forty two percent from three this season as a rookie, which is crazy, um, yeah. and like forty eight percent from the field, and averaged like close to fifteen points. So you know they got him. Al Horford is he's very skilled, very good passer, very good rebounder. You got Marcus Morris who can make big big shots kind of for no reason, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that was who I was forgetting. Yeah, Marcus Morris. Yeah, Marcus Smart, a very tenacious defense. Like you know they have talent. They have role players for everything that they need. Um, I guess the only concern with them is whether or not they'll be really able to keep up in terms of their three-point shooting because you know they're not as viable at that as the Sixers are. But overall, it's going to be a good series because I think Brad Stevens is better than Brett Brown for sure. And um, you know, I'm sure Brett Brown, I'm sure Brad Stevens will figure out some sort of answer to um, similarly to how he did with Giannis. Honestly, like Giannis and Ben Simmons are similar in the sense that uh, you know Giannis isn't the playmaker that Ben Simmons is, but at the same time, like. Ben Simmons isn't the scorer that Giannis is. So, you know, ben, ben, uh, Brad Stevens, I think, will probably do his best to figure out a way to take Ben Simmons out of the game, which I think he might be effective at because similarly to Giannis, like Giannis wasn't a good outside shooter, and that's why he struggled in the series. And Ben Simmons, we all know, can't shoot a jump shot from any distance. So, you know, if they just collapse in the paint and they just make him, you know, if they bring the double on him and, he, he, you know, the Heat's defensive strategies weren't as good as we thought they would be, but, you know, Brad Stevens will definitely be better. So, you never know. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the Celtics go to the Eastern Conference Finals in like uh, you know a six or seven game series. But um, I'll definitely be impressed with the Sixers if they're able to win this game in four or five because that would be crazy. Yeah, definitely. And this is one of the. I, I guess I should probably save this for uh, the actual playoff preview that we do for it. But I'll just say in like a couple sentences. Yeah, this is one of the it, one of the series I'm most excited for in the next round, and one of, one of the first times in the last couple of years honestly that like i'm super excited about like an, uh, another uh, east series like for the most part they've just been oh it's either the team that's going to lose to the Cavs or it's the Cavs beating some other team and, like that's not that exciting but yeah like this i don't know who's going to win and like they definitely following like the bucks celtics uh, series has got me super excited about the celtics and the 76ers they have all the potential in the world right now and it's just a question of can they continue to live up to it as they have in the first round and can they just, I mean, the sky's the limit for them, and I'm really, really curious to see if they can make it to the conference finals, because that, that would be fascinating to see, because I, I think you would agree with this. If they made the conference finals, they're going to the finals. Oh, the Sixers? Yeah. 
Um, well, I mean, yeah, it depends. I don't really know. It, it, to me, it's really just a matter of whether or not the Cavs will ever show up. But as of right now, yes, I agree. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that, I've, that pretty much wraps up this one. Yep, Bucks. You got to figure out this playoff thing. It, it's getting bad. You know, like you're worse than the Raptors at this point, and that's saying something. Your roster's one of the best in the league. It's always been. You have one of the most promising players in the league. One of the best outside shooters in the league. You, you have Jabari Parker, who you know kind of sucks, but whatever. But okay, first of all, you got to find a head coach. Pronti's not doing anything, and I, I could make, make a bunch of uh, yeah, uh, jokes about him. But yeah, uh, I'll save those for the. PG-13 uh, one. But, yeah, and you know what? I hope you're better next year, honestly. <laughs> I, it's hard to support you in the playoffs when you uh, keep letting us down. You you have nine straight series uh, loss in the, losses in the playoffs. That's bad. Like, it, it just get get your act together, frankly. And I said, yeah, that's the Bucks. All right, so I, I, I hope you've saved something for this last series because I, I, I definitely have. So for our last series, uh, for anyone uh, following at home, we have the Pacers-Cavs uh, series. Or, or should I say the Pacers versus LeBron series. The, yeah. the, this was... Okay, so I, I guess I'll give a quick summary of this for all of you. So basically what happened in this series, we were expecting a uh, return of like the Eastern Conference Finals from like 2013-2014 where... Where the Cavs, or I guess in that case the Heat, were serviceable against the Pacers. Where LeBron had something to go with. And and the Pacers were a bunch of role players who, you know, they played well together. And yeah, if, I think actually the Pacers were better in this than they were in those Eastern Conference Finals teams. And you know what? I, I think LeBron was better than he was in those Eastern Conference Finals. And this one went the full seven games, but it's like the worst seven-game series that you could imagine. It was almost all, basically every Cavs home game were was determined by like three or less points or something. No, that's not true. But you know, like less than ten. Like they were all super close. And then like every Pacers home game was like a massive blowout, and like it was just wasn't even close. So you know, whenever you see that happen, you're like, okay, we know which team should be winning this series, but. Yeah, it seems like the Cavs only won this series because they won like one more game in the regular season. So, for anyone that says that the regular season doesn't matter, there you go. That is very true. Um, I mean, this series is just like wow. Yeah, I I mean, it, it, uh, I don't even know where to get started. It's like. Yeah. So here, I'll I'll just I'll start with this. So, do you think that and does how does this change your thoughts of LeBron as the greatest of all time? Not at all. I mean, yeah, me either. Because like, like yeah, I, when I was coming into when I woke up this morning, like I was having heart palpitations because I was like, holy crap, what if LeBron loses this? And then like it's over, and like it's not his fault, but it's over. Yeah, because here's the thing that I thought was unfair. I still like here's the thing. I personally, even if LeBron had lost this series, I still would have been. No, me too. But like, I still would have believed that he could be like he was the greatest player. But like nobody, like nobody would buy it. Like he would exactly shut up. Like he lost to the forty-eight win Pacers with no one better than Victor Oladipo in the first round. Like shut up. He couldn't even win that. But like, just there is no player in the NBA today that is capable of single-handedly winning a playoff series like LeBron James just did. This man had 46 points in one of the games, 44 in another game, and had 45 today. And 
he had the third most points all time scored in a game seven. With Se- second most. No, no, Kevin Kevin Johnson has forty six, and then Sam Jones has forty seven. Oh, I thought it was a freeway tie for forty seven. My bad. Oh no, no, yeah, it's it's yeah, forty. Well, Kevin Johnson has forty six, but whatever. I mean, and surprisingly to me, that that actually forty that tied his own record of forty five because he's done this before. Yeah. In a game seven uh, in uh, two thousand eight against the Celtics. Um, or the Pistons, maybe I, I can't remember, but um, it was oh my gosh, he that that man played such a fantastic series. It is absurd. I mean, like he he did everything for them. Like he he accounted, I think, through the first three or four games, he accounted for like forty percent of the team's points, rebounds, and assists as a team. The only team with uh, the only team in the playoffs that didn't have a uh, two players score twenty points or more. Were the Cavs? Nobody in the series scored more than 19 points. Uh, Kyle Korver did that in one game, and I mean, they played so bad that Skip Bayless went on Twitter and he tweeted that Kyle Korver was a huge factor in helping win this game, even though he only had three points. Oh my God! He he went and he was like, LeBron had so much help tonight. Don't tell me that he he didn't have any help. Kyle Korver, Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, George Hill all played great, but Kyle Korver had three points. George Hill had nine. Uh, Tristan Thompson did have a, he had a really good game today actually so I will be yeah he did yeah I saw some of those blocks Kevin Love just yeah well, he he finally had a decent game so people are saying that it was a good game but it was still a pretty bad game so um, Kevin Love is horrible uh, I don't know what his issue is in the playoffs uh, he had there was a game in the series where nobody on the Cavs other than LeBron James made more than two field goals except one and that was Kyle Korver who made like six. Um, Wow! How do that? Like, just think about it this way: Mid, at the end, towards the end of the third quarter in this game, LeBron James had thirty-eight points. His team had eighty-two. That is forty-six percent of the team's scoring. If you add Tristan Thompson's total to that, you had fifty-two of the eighty-two. Every other player, twelve players combined, or the entire rest of the team, if you just take out LeBron and Tristan Thompson, through three quarters of the game, only had thirty points. That's so horrible. You had they only had like nine bench points at that point, at this point that I'm talking about. Like they have absolutely nothing. Nobody on the team can create their own shot. Nobody can get anything going. These trades were extremely overrated. Rodney Hood is nothing like we expected. Jordan Clarkson is not the player that we expected. He's worse. He thinks he's Kobe Bryant and Russell Westbrook, where he just chucks a bunch of bad threes and just thinks that they'll go in. And he's like Kobe, and then he shoots them, and then they miss, and he's like, oh crap, oh my god. Yeah, and I don't true. play any defense either, so I just have to wait until I can get another bad offensive possession and ruin the play for my my teammates. Yeah, and George Hill is falling apart. Yeah, George Hill is just not what he used to be. For some reason, he can't play defense. And he had a good stretch today, but oh my god, what is his issue? He can't. He, I haven't seen him make a shot since like the second game that he played in Cleveland. And that might be an overstatement. It's just oh, weird and just oh my god, they're so Larry Nance is not what he was for those couple games. Thank God Tristan Thompson was the way he was today because if he wasn't, they would have lost his game. Yeah. And oh my god, that was so crazy to me. Like I was really, I was really worried that they would lose because I don't want. I think the entire world doesn't want to see LeBron out of the playoffs because like all these talk shows and stuff are literally gonna have nothing to talk about because all they do is say polarizing things about whether or not they love or hate LeBron. So um, Skip Bayless wouldn't have had anything to do for the next five months, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was such an amazing performance by LeBron James. It was a classic. Um, he now holds the following records all time in the playoffs. He's number one all time in steals. He passed Scottie Pippen for that today. That's incredible. The, sorry? That's incredible, actually, because he's not even a guard. He's a forward. Yeah, he's yeah, wow. yeah. He's number one all-time in playoff steals uh, as of today. Wow. Um, and then he entered the playoffs, I think, I don't know. Yeah, he entered the playoffs second, and then 
yeah, he passed Scottie Pippen today. He's the all-time leading scorer, or he has the most points per game in a game in game sevens. He had he's already the all-time playoff leading scorer. And then there's one more thing I can pull it up though um, that he is uh, now. Let me just find it real quick. I wrote it down earlier. Yeah, sure thing. Good good job doing your research. Those are some nice stats. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, he's so he's. He now holds these records, points per game in Game 7s, points per game in closeout games in general, and total points scored buzzer beaters. Those are the four things that he has records in now. And, I mean, uh, if you just think about it, like, <laughs> I mean, like, Le- 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 LeBron James' elimination game stats are going to be amazing at the end of his career because, you know, he had the three closeout games against Golden State in 2016 where he went 41-16 and 9, and then he went, like, 41-11 and 8, and then he went 29-13 and 12, and then whatever he did in games four and or four and five last year in the finals. And then what he just did today, like his elimination game stats are going to be amazing. He's probably going to be averaging like 37 points per game or something like that. So um, at least that'll be an argument that you and I can use to say that he, he showed up in elimination games. He's not a choker like everybody says. And, no, I know. Uh, that, buzz, that buzzer beater that he hit in the, after that one game, which was an amazing shot. Oh, amazing. That, that was one of the best shots I've ever seen. I know everyone was making comparisons between that and Michael Jordan in game six of that uh, Jazz series. It was better than that. Let's be real. Yeah, it was better. I mean, the downscreen, the play, the pass, the just elevation, and like, everything about it was great. He bottom of the net. I mean, like, it was great. It was ending um that that put him ahead of Michael Jordan uh, in buzzer beaters. Nobody in the NBA playoffs history has more buzzer beaters than LeBron James. He now shoots a higher percentage from the field than Michael Jordan on game-winning attempts with five seconds left in the game or less. He now has more buzzer beaters than Michael Jordan and, Kobe, like, everyone. He, he's the most. He's he's better than Kobe Bryant now, and he's better than Michael Jordan. Like, to, so th- this whole he's not clutch thing, that could go away now. Like, it's done. Like, he has more buzzer beaters than both of them. What more do you want? He shoots a higher percentage. You can stop saying he's not clutch. He's clutch. Like, he's, he's such a clutch player. He, 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 even though it was called a goaltend, the fact that he was even able to recover and get close to getting a block on that play was, like, yes, I get it, it was a goaltend. But, I mean, in my personal opinion, I don't see why you wouldn't run the same play. Like, yeah. you know? Um, actually, I guess, well, whatever. But that, that, that's, I guess we'll never, we'll never know, you know? There's so many officiating calls that you can talk about, so I'm not going to let people use it against LeBron. You, you could say that about so many different things. If they call a push-off, then Michael Jordan doesn't have six strings. All this yep. stuff. So, um. Yeah, um, it was an amazing series from LeBron. Horrible series from everybody else. Uh, in 2007, when LeBron dragged that team to the NBA Finals that everyone talks about, uh, the leading scorer for that team, or the second leading scorer for that team, was uh, Drew Gooden, averaging Drew Gooden in that series. That team that uh, I think that's consensus. That's the worst team that's ever played in the NBA Finals. Yeah. Uh, because so you know, just because of the lack of help that LeBron had, he dragged them to the. I finals. mean, they might make, but they, they might break that record this year. Yeah, the second the, the second leading scorer on that team averaged more points per game than Kevin Love did this series. That is how poorly Kevin oh, Love scored. Wow. Um, so Kevin Love really needs to get it together. I don't know what his issue is. I'm not sure if he's choking under the pressure, but he has never played better in the playoffs than he has in the regular season. He's had like one good playoff series, maybe. Um, just oh my god, I don't know what his issue is. Cleveland is just so awful. Rodney Hood is not good as I, like, I thought he was. Larry Nance is not. He's good, but he's not effective in the playoffs for some reason. Jordan Clarkson not there. Kyle Korver is missing too many shots. Jarrett Smith not what he once was. Tristan Thompson maybe still has something in the tank, but I don't think that he'll do it consistently. And honestly, if depending on how the game... I mean, we know that Toronto has a history of being a little bit afraid of LeBron James and not playing to the level of competition and all that. Like They don't really rise up and play well against LeBron, but... I don't know. Maybe they, they feel confident this year because they recognize how bad the Caps are. I wouldn't be surprised if Toronto beats them in a six-game series. Yeah, so like just uh, just to uh, recap some of the stuff I saw in this series, I, 
I mean, yeah, like it, it was just LeBron dragging him, it, basically putting the team on his back and like never giving up and like playing the, an incredible amount of minutes while he did it. Like the only uh, game that he even played below 40 was uh, this last game where for some reason he played 33 minutes. I don't really know why that happened. That's a typo. I think that's 40. He played 43 tonight. Oh, it is a typo. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I was like, that, yeah, why he would played, he... he played 43 because he said that he was going to play all 48, but then he started cramping. Oh, oh, that sucks. Poor LeBron. Which I guess he has a history with. And then Skip Bayless called him out on Twitter and said, he's faking it, he's faking it, he's not actually cramping. Oh he just has an excuse for if they lose. He's, he's coming out of the game when the game is tightening and he scores close to that if he loses, he has an excuse. Oh, shut the hell up, Skip. Yeah, that was, that was stupid. Okay, that's really annoying. But I was so happy because I... I like I was refereeing all day today. I like ran off the field because like there were three minutes left in that Cavs game, and I wanted to watch the last of that. So I watched the last three minutes. I was super happy to see that LeBron actually called got an offensive foul called against him because I thought for sure the NBA was going to push for him winning the series because they'd be super worried about not having a playoffs with LeBron. So that's yeah, a, the officiating was good. Yeah, so like that's a point in uh, refereeing officiating not being uh, conspiratorial. That's that's nice. But but just so we actually give the Pacers some credit here, they were they were amazing in this series. They were so honest. I feel so bad for them. Like if, if it was anybody other than LeBron, like oh my god, I would be so upset that the Pacers lost. Like they played their hearts out. They they won by eight. They won the the scoring for the series. They won. Like if you add the totals from every yeah. game, like they won the series overall. But like just game by game, like. Victor Oladipo is a star. Yes. He, he might be better than Paul George, honestly. Uh, yeah. uh, he's a good defensive player. He's he's, he's 2.4 steals per game. I know steals aren't always indicative of good defense, but he does play good defense. He's strong, athletic, he can shoot the ball, and he can get hot pretty easily. He's like I, He started the game really slowly. He started the game 0 for 4, but then he finished the game shooting, I think, above 50% from both the field and from 3, and I think he finished with like 27 or 28 Um and he's he's versatile too. Like he was grabbing twelve rebounds, six assists. He, he's a good player, and he elevated his uh, level of play in the playoffs. Darren Collison was surprisingly good today. Um, Domantas Sabonis was good in this series. Miles Turner was good in this series. They played excellent throughout the whole series. And honestly, if they played any other team that wasn't LeBron, they would have won. Yeah. Uh, like LeBron is the only reason that they lost. Uh, any other player in the league is on the Cavs. They lose. Yeah, and like I. I'm almost uh, speechless with how well they played. Like, the, hands down, Scott McMillan, he did the, he did yeah, incredible uh, the work that he's done with the Pacers. He's he turned around a team that was completely that was going to be tanking this season. Then, yeah, uh, like, they, they should have won like thirty games. Yeah, like, and he made them into a team that not only made made the playoffs, but it, it took LeBron James to game seven, and like they they could have beaten any other team in the Eastern Conference right now. And like they could yeah. be in the 76ers. Like this team is incredible, and they just lost in the first round because LeBron James put up the best performance in a seven-game series that the NBA has ever seen, and nobody's even going to give him credit for it because he went to Game Seven in the first round. And my my God, he, he did an amazing job. Thaddeus Young, he had an amazing series. Yeah, yeah, he came out. He's been in the league for like ten years, and it's like who cares about Thaddeus Young? He's yeah. been in like four teams. Who cares? And how about Lance Stevenson? Yeah, Lance. Yeah, no one's even talked about Lance Stevenson. This is the last time he blew in LeBron's ear, and here he is, relevant, making like giving LeBron hell all over again. I mean, it was crazy. Um, I mean, LeBron James. You know, he had the only the only two games in this series that he had that weren't great. The other five were phenomenal, 
And even those two games were their subpar games for him, but they were still amazing games. Yeah. Uh, uh, and just, wow, it was crazy. Um, LeBron really, really, it kind of sounds like we're some LeBron fanboys, but he deserves it after this. There's no reason that they should have won that series. They're, they're, he had no business winning that series. The Cavs had no business as a team winning that series. I mean, they, they had no they business winning a single game. Yeah, they, like, they lost game six by 34 points. Like, yeah, that made me nervous. Yeah, 121 to 87. Like, and then LeBron James just comes in in game seven and he's prepared to play the whole game and takes, shoots it an extremely efficient 16 for 25 from the field, only takes two threes, hits both of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, and he, uh, there was a stretch in this series that was really, uh, brightening, actually. He made 25 straight free throws, so that's good yeah, for him. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, like, I was watching the end of this game seven, and I saw he was, like, eight for 11 from the free throws. I'm like, hmm, what you gonna say, Skip? He's doing all the free yeah, throws. Yeah, 85% from the free, or 84% from the free throw line this series, or 83, or, yeah. which is better than his career average. His career average is 74, 75, I think, so. Yeah, and he really picked it up, uh, and, like, good for him. Yeah, that's a good thing. If he can if he can keep that over the over the playoffs and over you know the rest of his career, then that's good. That's going to be something that people can knock him for because you know they always want improvement and stuff. And then all the LeBron fanboys can just be like, oh yeah, you see, he improved over the end of his career, which is good. It's a good thing. Usually, players when they have a problem, they don't improve this late in their career. But him doing that, it'd be another thing. He'd be the first to do. So uh, LeBron James is fantastic. I mean, it's. Really, not that much else to say. Really. Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot to say about the series and how bad the Cavs are, but in terms of him, um, you can't even say enough to to just like to give him credit. Like he he literally, I mean, the, this this Pacer team, this this team could have beaten Boston. This team could have beaten Toronto. This team could have beaten maybe Philadelphia. This team could have beaten Miami. This team could have beaten what? This team could have beaten any other team in the Eastern Conference, and maybe even some teams in the West. Like I think I would probably. Given how well the Pacers played, the Pacers probably could have beaten like Minnesota. They probably could have beaten Oklahoma City. They probably, yes. you know, um, they probably could have beaten, uh, you know, Portland. They probably could have beaten New Orleans. Like, yeah. or I, I don't know about New Orleans just because of how fantastic Holiday and Rondo played. But still, like, you get the point. Like, this Pacers team was actually so much better than their record said and just how how they played in the you know, like they're, they're, they were fantastic. Their defense was stellar and their offense was, you know, um, but. You know, at the end of the day, LeBron James just—he did that, and uh, his defense was really good, and he was taking the challenge of guarding Victor Oladipo for you know long stretches after Game One, which is really important. And um, just, but another note um, that I will say: the little, the one positive thing about Cleveland that is a little weird, actually, is that their defense really wasn't that horrible throughout the series. Yeah, know, like they just had a six. horrible offense. Yeah, because I mean, they gave up one twenty-one in Game Six, but you know, that's that's, that's not even that bad. Yeah, over over a seven game series, like you know, you'll you'll have one game like that. Um, but like, they held them to, um, even though they lost by eighteen, they held them to ninety eight in game one. Then it was like ninety seven in game two. Then it was like ninety eight in game three. And then it was I know they were hundred in game three. And then it was like, you know, like and over the regular season, I think they only had like six or seven games where they held teams to like uh, under hundred points. So the fact that they were able to do that for basically every game except one at this playoff series is a really good sign. And to, even today, they only held them to one hundred one and one by four. So. Uh, but you know the only reason that was one hundred one to one hundred uh, one was because there was a garbage time three by Oladipo and the game was already over. So yeah, um, it was really ninety eight. So yeah, I mean the Cavs defense was stellar. Like if, if they had played, like this series could have been a blowout if if um, if uh, Cleveland's offense was clicking. Like if Kevin, like the the there there were um, I think it, what, what was the stat I heard? It was other than the four starters that LeBron has played with throughout this series. No, none of them shot above thirty-five percent from the field. Oh, 
That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, like and like the only reason that they would be better than that is if you're only taking like two, three shots a game and you make like one or two of them, or two if you take four shots a game, you make two of them, and that's going to be for people off the bench. Like you know, Jordan Clarkson would come off the bench and take two shots and make one of them. So his field goal percentage will be better than that, but none of them are contributing. Like nobody contributed to help LeBron except for Kyle Corbett in one game when he had 19 and Tristan Thompson today. And I was really, really glad to see Tristan Thompson show out today. That was really impressive. I, I liked how he, uh, how he responded to all the crap that's being said about him. And I really liked Tyloo's decision to play the five players who played in the finals last year. It was a game seven. It was a pressure pack moment. And even though the starters didn't shoot well, they played well. You know, Kyle Korver, he ran a good give-and-go play with the pass to LeBron. And Tristan Thompson was having some good offensive rebounds. And Kevin Love came alive for a little bit. So there were definitely some good signs in the third and fourth, in the fourth quarter for the Cleveland uh, going into the remainder of the playoffs. So honestly, if they can catch – here's the, here's what I will say. If the, if the team as a collective can catch their shooting stroke in round two, then I think there's a good chance they can go to the finals because – when you have LeBron James surrounded by shooters who are actually making their shots, it's a completely different and different, different beast than it is if you're surrounded LeBron James with a bunch of, like, literally just by himself having to feed people inside all the time. So um, if their team can make their outside shots, they're deadly. If they can't, like, they live and die by the three and by LeBron James. So yep. they were dead at three, but LeBron James just was further than alive <laughs> the series. So. Yeah, and like just watching uh, the end of Game 7, I don't know how this uh, kept up throughout the series, but I just couldn't believe it. But like LeBron was everywhere. Like he, he There was one sequence like in, with like a minute left in the game where like it was still in question if they were actually going to win the game. And like he, he, he played amazing defense on Oladipo, who was driving up to the basket. He, it like got, I don't remember if he got it. No, he didn't. He, I thought he got a block on him, but he, Oladipo got the shot off. No chance of making it because of how well LeBron James contested it. And then he runs over and gets the rebound too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was incredible. I, like, I was like, is that LeBron James? How did he get there so fast? Yeah, yeah. That, you're talking about the play where he shot the three and it was super contested and then he grabbed the ball too and yeah. then he ran it up the floor and made the play. He literally does everything. Yeah, and like he, in a lot of ways he plays like Russell Westbrook, except he plays smart. Yeah, exa- exactly. Like he, he, takes, he scores the same number of points by just taking smarter shots. Like you only took 25 shots and you have 46 points. Like that's 64% shooting. And then there was another game where he had 70% shooting and there's only one other game like that in the playoffs. And I'm pretty sure it's held by him. Like, <laughs> uh, it's crazy. It, it, the, the, the amount of, like the fact that there are people who can still hate on his, the, the way that he plays, like just because of a small few nitpicky things and one bad series that he had six years, seven years ago. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, well, I don't understand why people are so stuck on, on Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. Like why can't even like, I, I'm fine if people want to consider Michael Jordan the greatest player ever. I don't always agree with it, but you, depending on the argument that you make for it. But like, I people need to stop thinking that it's so blasphemous to think LeBron James is the best player ever. Like he's Michael Jordan would never. He, I'm sorry, he can't. Like he, Michael Jordan can't carry bad teams. That like he, if if you're gonna argue with me, then tell me why he never won a playoff series without Scottie Pippen or you know a big had had another secondary player like. LeBron James had no second option this series. His second best player was averaging 12 points per game on 35% shooting. Like, Michael Jordan never did that. He never could. He never will. So, people need to stop saying that Michael Jordan is somehow all that. Yeah, and like just, there's no excuse for him not to be in the conversation, much less not consider the best. Like, just, yeah, like that's really their only argument is that Mavericks series at this point, and like just Le- LeBron is better than any player in NBA history at carrying these uh, carrying bad teams to either the finals or deep into the playoffs, past uh, winning games that they should not be winning, and yeah, like it's absolutely unbelievable. And this he's the only reason I even have hope that like the Cavs will make the finals. Just 
Because, I, I mean, if the Pacers couldn't beat them, I don't think that the Raptors can beat them. I don't think that the Celtics can beat them. I just don't... I just don't think there's anything more you can do. So, like, that's basically why I feel like that. But, yeah. Uh, that's pretty much all that can be said about this series. I feel terrible. Oh, wait. I forgot. I, I forgot my uh, teaser from earlier about why uh, this proves that LeBron is actually better than Russell Westbrook's season last year. So... Uh, yes, wh wh which team would you take? This Cavs team in the playoffs or the Thunder last year? In terms of the roster without LeBron? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the roster last year was better. Yep. So, that pretty much rests my case. <laughs> and and LeBron just beat a team that is as good, if not better, than that Rockets team last year. I don't care if you want to say, ooh, it's Antony, ooh, it's Harden, whatever. This Pacers team was absolutely amazing, and... Pretty much nobody in the East could have beaten them. I don't think that Rockets team last year could have beaten them. This, they played their butts off, and you know what? I I think this uh, win shows that LeBron is better than someone that averaged a triple double in the regular season. And God, there's a, like a we could go on forever about how great LeBron is in the series, but we got to move on. So yeah. Oh, lastly though, lastly, what I will say about the MVP discussion for this year, James Harden's team. Won by 20 points when he shot two for 18. Yeah. LeBron James had like 46 points and they won by three. And what is valuable? Yeah. Valuable means how valuable you are to the team. Most valuable players should mean how valuable you are to your team. They do not, they get swept by the Pacers if LeBron James is not playing the series. Facts. Period. Point blank. End of story. They get swept by the Pacers if they, they get swept by the Pacers if they do not have LeBron James in this series. Swept. Completely annihilated. Lose by like 20 every single game. Yeah. If they don't have LeBron James in this series, they get swept, annihilated, destroyed out of the playoffs. And this team wouldn't have even made the playoffs without LeBron James. He is the most valuable player. Yes, he, you can argue. Yes, maybe James Harden had the best season. Yeah, that, that, could, that could be true. 30 points, 9 assists, 5 rebounds, and 65 wins. Like, yes, they should create two separate awards if they want to award it like that. Or just may change the award to be best season from a player or best individual season or something like that. Like... MVP means most valuable player. LeBron James is consistently and always the most valuable player to his team in the NBA. He, unto himself, is a system. He is so good that he literally took a team that averaged with no other player was averaging more than 12 points per game to a first-round series win. Don't tell me anything about how any other player could do that. Kevin Durant had Clay Thompson, averaged 27 points per game in this series. Giannis Antetokounmpo had help from Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton. And then you have the Celtics, where there's Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Terry Rozier and Al Horford. You have the, even the Heat had a game. Even the Heat had a game where they had two 20-point wins, two 20-point scores. You have Dwayne Wade going for 20, and then you have Goran Dragic going for 20, or someone. The Sixers, you have Joel Embiid, and you have Ben Simmons going for good scoring games. And you have Robert Covington and J.J. Redick who can get 20. James Harden and Chris Paul. Uh, Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns. Kevin Love is not a legitimate player to the point where I can say – LeBron James and Kevin Love, because Kevin Love is not showing up. There's no second option on the Cavs. There's not. You can't say that Kevin Love is the second option. He's not playing well enough to be the second option. He, there's no second option. Nobody on the team is averaging more than 12 points per game on 35% shooting from the field. How? There's, they're so bad. It's just it's laughable. If LeBron James takes this team to the NBA Finals, but, you know, I don't, he well, first of all, he won't take this team to the NBA Finals if they don't get their shooting stroke together and they don't become a good offensive team again. Yeah, but just even if even if they do, like 
we've seen how bad this team can be, and we see how dependent they are on him. And like, if he takes his team to the finals, it's going to be an amazing accomplishment. I don't care whether or not. There's no way he's going to win a championship this year, in my opinion. No, no way. So, unless they get to the finals and, like, James Harden and Chris Paul have, you know, both fall off the earth, like, you know. Yeah, no, there's no way, and people are going to still hold that against LeBron, which sucks. But you know what? That's that's the life of a LeBron fan, I guess. And yeah, when the Cavs didn't have when the Cavs didn't have a second option, when they had no other option but to get LeBron to give us LeBron the, James was the first, second, and third option. Exactly, and you know what? They still won. And yeah, like you have you have driving LeBron to the basket, LeBron. You have playmaking LeBron. You have rebounding LeBron. Defensive LeBron and then three point shooting LeBron. You had coaching LeBron, like Tyron. Yeah. Tyron Lue wasn't even good in this series. No, I saw this. I saw. I saw a, a picture of this, and this was completely true. It was a picture of. It was a picture of Kyrie shot, LeBron James block, and Kevin Love stop from the 2016 Finals, all in one picture. And then it was saying LeBron has to do all three this year, which is completely true. He has to make, and he literally did. He did the Kyrie type shot in Game Five, and then he did the Kyrie type block in Game Five, and then he did the. Uh, Kevin Love like stop in Game Seven this year, so yep. yeah, okay. he has to do everything. Well, yeah, that's that's our feelings on LeBron, and you know what? If he wins the second round, uh, we'll have to break out champagne or something because uh, my God, he is an incredible player. And I, I guess we have to say goodbye to the Pacers. I, I mean, obviously, we didn't even talk about what they have to do in free agency because there's nothing you need to do. This team's amazing right now. Just come back, go win like sixty games in the regular season, and. Yeah, just show up in the playoffs again and uh, show us why uh, Nate McMillan is apparently the most under-the-radar coach that has ever existed. So, He's very good. So, yeah, goodbye, Pacers, and I look forward to seeing you next year because, wow, they are a really exciting team. Victor Oladipo, you, you surprised me. You're great. Yep. Okay, so that wraps up all of our uh, first-round uh, wrap-ups, I guess. And unfortunately, we don't have time to go into our uh, second round preview, so we'll probably uh, meet back meet back uh, sometime during the week to actually get those in and maybe actually talk about some other uh, topics that have come up recently. I'd love to talk about the whole refereeing thing and like their new system with that, because that'd be fascinating. But yeah, I appreciate you all for listening, and hopefully you guys enjoy t- listening to the NBA as uh, much as we enjoy talking about it, because yeah, this, this ended up being a pretty... Uh, not only drawn out, but also very energetic podcast. So that's always exciting. If you guys enjoyed it, uh, make sure to go to iTunes, give us a five star review, give us a heck, just give us a normal review. Tell us why you liked it. Ask some questions. I'd love to get some questions once in a while. Go to YouTube, give us a subscribe, hit the bell. I don't know why everyone does, doesn't just hit the bell when they get the subscribe. Do you not want to find out when it happens? So yeah, do that. Give us a comment on there. And you know what? We're going to see you next time to talk about the second round. And to see how many more games LeBron can win. Oh, hopefully more than one. All right, bye.